of mystery, confusion, or misrepresentation. I'm Matt Hartless, a musician and journalist. I'm AJ Hill, comedian and idiot. And this week, in a YOY first, we have a special guest. It's Shelley LaFay. Hello. So, I'm, hello. I'm Shelley LaFay. I'm a musician and artist, I guess. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and she is also my girlfriend, and today is... <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I was just having a piss off But today she's here in her capacity as a massive fan of the Manic Street Preachers. If you like what you're hearing, please support us on buymeacoffee.com slash y0ymcr. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. You just look for the handle at y0ypodcast. Uh, and please subscribe to us on your podcast app or on YouTube, if that's where you're listening to this. Uh, the more subscribers we get, then the more options we have in general, in life. In life. And uh, yeah, and by the time this goes out, we'll be 10 days away from the end of all coronavirus restrictions, provided nothing else goes wrong, which it almost Woo! certainly will. So please follow us to the pub and subscribe yeah, to us there. follow us to the pub in whatever numbers you, you, you feel like doing. But uh, yes, this is, this is exciting for us. So this is our uh, season finale. Uh, dun, we've, dun, dun. We've got through. This is our twelfth episode of, of YOY. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, we'll be we'll be taking a short break. I can't remember whether it's one fortnight or two fortnights that we miss out. But um, either way, we'll be. <laughs> well, I, I I have written it down. Somewhere. The program scheduler I cannot remember the mm. schedule. <laughs> well, I've I've got the schedule in my phone. I just can't be bothered to take mm. it out right now. Uh, so we'll um we'll we'll be back in a little while don't worry we are not going to be gone for too long but i have a festival i need to run uh, which is one, <laughs> not one, all one of on your things. own yeah, i don't not... think you should take all the credit for that <laughs> no it's just me it's the matt hartless festival yeah what are you talking about not a cult what's that um but yeah I, we, we will the people uh, and that will be taking up a lot of my attention in between uh, episodes and also it's just nice for us to have a break as well from talking about these because we're sick of each other now I'm joking um, this is a very long intro that, that might need to be it's always a long intro but it just yeah. gets longer each week which makes, me, it makes it funnier for me I just find it hilarious well I've uh, I've said everything I want to say how are, how are both of you this time how are you how are you feeling about appearing on YOY for the first time Shelley well I've had quite a lot of caffeine like I'm mostly feeling jittery. <laughs> that sounds jittery normal. Jittery, yeah. So, welcome yeah. aboard. That's, that's, that's usually how I feel sometimes. Yeah. But um, I'm excited to talk about this because I became a Mannix fan when I was like probably like 13 years old, mm-hmm. I think. So what was that? 1998? Which is when uh, This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours came out. Then, yeah, just kind of gradually got more and more and more obsessed with them. Like, as I kind of went into my teenage years, I've got... Uh, a tattoo of Richie Edwards, um, useless generation tattoo on my arm, which has now kind of been integrated into my blue roses. I, I've never actually spent any time looking Look that close to that. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, yeah. I've seen the tattoo, I just hadn't read what it said. And wow, yeah. that's a piece Commitment. of trivia about you. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Yeah, I think I've seen yeah. the Manics about 15 times. 15. Live. I mean, I, I got into yeah. them at a similar time to you, yeah. and I've seen them once, and I, I really enjoyed them. When did them. you see them? Oh, God. I think I saw them at Leeds Festival in 2007? Uh, okay. 
For, <laughs> interestingly, that's, that's, that's five times more than the most times I've seen a band repeatedly. Really? Which is three. <laughs> uh, it was for two bands, Louis Brabus and the Bedlam Six, mm. and... Electric Six. Uh, I like bands with six <laughs> yeah. in them. Sonic Boom yeah. Six. Sonic yeah, Boom yeah, six. yeah, I, 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 uh, mean, I, I well. haven't seen them at all yet, but yeah, I'll, I'll make an effort. I <laughs> don't think I've seen any band that much, uh, other than yours, your band, <laughs> well, your guys' bands. Oh, yeah, yeah, there we go. So yeah, that's, yeah. That's, uh, that's that. Oh, well, Thanks go. for that that's plug, by the way. Follow, yeah, yeah, no worries. Follow Matt Heartless and the Maverick 7 on Instagram and Facebook. Link in the show notes yeah. uh, and the <laughs> description. Uh, I, I put one in every week. Uh, so... Yeah, um, just before we get into this, we do just have to give a content warning. So there are a lot of themes oh, yeah. of self-harm, uh, suicide, mental illness within this episode. If that's something that's going to be difficult for you to listen to. This is your warning. Yeah, this, this, is, this is your warning. Brace yourself or turn um, it off. And we will also leave links to mental health advice websites etc. in the show notes can we, as well. Can we also leave a link to a missing persons charity yeah. as well? Oh, Miss, yes. Missing yeah. People that's, UK that's a good idea, yeah. Thank is you. Rachel yeah. Edwards. Like, well, it's not her charity, but it's someone she's involved with. Oh, excellent. So definitely leave a link for that, yeah. Richard James Edwards, was that mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard James Edwards was born in 1967 in Blackwood, Wales, which uh, is sort of between Newport and Cardiff, but north of both of them. Yeah, so it's, it's, just, it's just in the south of Wales, though. It's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. South, south of Wales. If Gwent, you're thinking of, right? you, yeah, yeah. If, if you're thinking of Wales in the map, it's like you're just just to the west of the English border, just north of the sea. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, is is where that is. So, uh, Shelley, I wanted to ask you first. What mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what was Richie's childhood like? What was it like growing up in in uh, in rural? Wales in the 70s? I d- I'm not sure if it was rural. Um, it was a mining town, um, but the mines obviously closed in the 80s, but when Richie was a was a teenager. But um, before that, his childhood was like completely idyllic. He said it was, it was just the best time of his life and it seems like everything sort of went downhill. The older he got, which is really sad, um, maybe that's because he had such a good start in life. It's pretty it normal was... though, isn't it? Everything yeah, yeah. just starts to go wrong yeah. the older you get. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. Say, yeah. But there is a bit of tragedy in peaking that soon. Yeah, this is true. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, a very sort of precocious student at school. He was like really good at history and art. Um, he won an arts prize um, at some point. I can't remember exactly what it was. I'm not even sure it was mentioned in any of the books I read, actually. But yeah, he um, he has a uh, younger sister called mm-hmm. Rachel, who will come up a lot later on. Um, his parents were called Graham and Sherry Edwards. Um, they had a dog called Snoopy. Oh. Yeah. And um, he they, they lived with his father's mother, Kezia. Mm-hmm. Um until um, she died when I think he was like 11 years old, which um, was something he never really got over. So um, basically, yeah, amazing childhood. Just just what you were saying before about somebody peeking too soon, that reminded me of... Uh, have you seen... <laughs> like it reminded me, me of you, AJ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it reminded me... Speaking of peeking too soon, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it reminds me of the film The World's End, the uh, the Edgar Wright, oh, Sean... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, not Sean. Penn. Simon Penn. Simon Penn. Oh yeah, Sean, Sean of the Dead. Sean Penn. <laughs> Simon of the Dead, Sean Pegg, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sean Simon, Simon Pegg, Pegg and, and Nick Frost vehicle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's like uh, Simon Pegg's character in, in in that film basically peaked when he was, what, 16? Yeah, and then he racing. just, he holds on to his past. And actually, that's a, yeah, from yeah. the thing that I read about Richie Edwards, he did, for a long part of his like, 
teenage years at least he was trying to hold on to a part of his like youth that was slowly sliding away from definitely. him definitely yeah. I think um, this is obviously jumping ahead but I do think in a lot of his lyrics after he joined the Manics there's a hell of a lot of um, references to the like loss of in- innocence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and childhood being you know like mourning your childhood and stuff like that so I, I think yeah well, it makes it makes sense from a, like a an adult perspective because um, something that I've read in my travels as a sociologist mm. is um, that something that adults seem to lose. We seem to be getting back a bit more now in our generation with things like video games and stuff like that. But mm. like adults seem to lose the ability to play or the time about. to yeah. play. And like, so Definitely. children have this playing ability and then adults just have been super yeah. serious yeah. and just like... You have to work and watch TV yeah, and yeah. that's it. That's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I agree with that. Yeah, that's... Um, that's that's something well, I thought about as well. The best way to to maintain that is to start or join a band. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that was uh, I don't do many segues Segway. on my own way, but um, but I've I've done one today. So Shelley, uh, tell us about the the Manic Street Preachers now, how they formed. Sure. Um, can I first of all just mention um, a really important thing? I think um, that Richie had a. A great aunt, his grandmother's younger sister called Great Aunt Bessie. Great Aunt Bessie, yep. Beth and Joan, uh, John, sorry, became very reclusive after um, I think losing her brother in the Second World War. I think Is it was the right? first. I think it was the First World War. Was it the First World yeah, War? Yeah, it was the First World War Whoa. because she okay. was. She oh was yeah, very, you're right. She was very yeah. traumatized by the. I literally read, read this, this this morning. This morning, yes, yeah, yeah, so that's yeah. why it's fresh in my mind. I yeah. read like last week, so yeah, yeah. that's the, I'll defer <laughs> to you. Yeah. yeah, it sounds right actually mm-hmm. because I remember like reading that his grandmother was born in like this 19th century and I was like what yeah yeah um but yeah so um basically after the trauma of losing um her younger brother his grandmother uh, sorry his great aunt Bessie became very reclusive and she kind of became this like Boo Radley character in Blackwood Mm -hmm. like everyone kind of knew like oh that's the house where the weird lady lives and she was like a recluse and Richie was really obsessed with the story about her and would ask um his parents to just like tell him the story about Mm -hmm. like you know, how she became this reclusive, mysterious figure over and over again. Once again, this is jumping ahead, I'm afraid, but, like, she died just a couple of months before he disappeared, which probably mm. would have got him thinking about her again. What's your catchphrase? We'll talk about that later. There we go. Um, <laughs> okay, so yeah, the Manic Sheep Preachers. Yes. Um, they formed in 1985, which is the year I was born. Is that why they formed? Probably. Like, the stars aligned. Yeah. Your wife's bed cable. Um, they formed in 1985, um, Nikki uh, Wire, James Dean Bradfield and Sean Moore. Sean Moore and James Dean Bradfield are cousins. Um, they originally had a bass player called Flicker. Um, Flick. Flicker. I guess because he flicked <laughs> the bass, I don't know. He went on to um, found a photo sharing website. He did, <laughs> <laughs> very same. Um, that's not true. Um, yeah. <laughs> So um, he he left the band after like a few years due to musical differences. But like there's a kind of myth that the Manics put about that the four of them were like always really, really tight and were best friends from like the age of five, um, which isn't entirely true. But they did know each other. They went to the same school and Richie used to play football with the other boys. And it he was, was a good right winger. Ironically. Ironically. <laughs> in the From There to Here documentary. I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong, but that's, that's like was what I was watching on YouTube just we're not, earlier. You just Who cares? So, you know, we're not the the best at actual facts. We're just <laughs> 
we just get more broad strokes about a situation Music. and then yeah, we, yeah. we encourage our oh, listeners wow. to go and look into it ourselves. I've got literally yeah, yeah. a book of yeah, we don't. I mean, to, to, be, to be fair, just, just, just for the sake of clarity, we don't, we don't just make shit up. Like, you know, we, we, will, we will refer to sources and, you know, that we've heard. We, we're reporting on things that, that we have looked into and that have been told we haven't just decided upon these things ourselves. But mm. yeah, we, we, we're not. Yeah. Yeah, we're not thorough. We're not bringing out a documentary. We're not writing I'm a book thorough. about it. I've been thorough, um, which is why I'm kicking myself when I can't remember a little detail. Um, but yeah, so like they you they used to play um, football against each other, like mm-hmm. what Nicky Street against Richie Street, apparently like on the fields behind their houses. So they did know each other, but I really they... li- I really like the fact that they used to play for a trophy that one of their dads had found in yes, Skip. True. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so cute. Um, yeah, I remember that standing out to me as well. I was like, that's adorable. But yeah, so Richie went away to uh, Swansea University in, when would it have been? 85, I guess. 84, 85, I think. 80, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Him and Nicky became proper friends when Nicky then, who was a year younger than him, then uh, went to the same university the next year. Yeah, interestingly, like Richie did take an exam for a scholarship for a private school. Uh, boarding school and was accepted yeah he decided to stay at the local comprehensive because he wanted to stay with his friends which is a really understandable decision for a child to make yeah it just does make you wonder like what what could have been different he wouldn't have met the same people he would have turned into a psychopath (laughs) that's what they do they go to boarding school they just get turned into a psychopath that's what happens we live in a country run by them so (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's yeah i mean (laughs) yeah that's a good point that's a very good point but, um, He'd be prime minister. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, definitely would be a generation terrorist then. Like there we go. Ah. <laughs> um, but yeah, when Richie was at school, um, he actually in the book with John Tracers. Did you read this part about some of the stories he wrote at school? Yes, I did read some of this part. I, there was one very... specific story that I came across, which I, I will discuss it, it when it is appropriate. Well, I was going to bring it up now because we're talking about his early life, if that's all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he obviously was, you know, super creative. I mean, we know that anyway, don't we? He was very talented at art. He was very talented at, like, creative writing. And one of the stories he wrote, there was quite a few stories that featured themes of illness, hospitals, and mm-hmm. disappearance and exile, which is, like, obviously something he's been fascinated by all through his life. Yeah. His great-aunt Bessie, too, you know, his eventual fate. But, um... He, um, in one of the stories, uh, he describes himself escaping like a conspiracy of some kind. I can't remember exactly what it was. To England over the Seven Bridge. Yeah. So seeing the Seven Bridge as an escape route, which is pretty eerie because that's mm. where his car was found. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Exactly. So like, it's so, I mean, yeah, it, it's a little bit chilling that, that, really, to think of that. That wasn't yeah. the piece that stood out to me. Was uh, it not? No. What was the... The piece that stood out to me, which has most of those things in it as well, which was a fictional piece uh, where the protagonist uh, sets out to become a poet and goes to London to perform poetry. Mm. And then Craig Charles, oh, yes, Craig a Charles. hero of mine, steals <laughs> the, the, the poet's poetry and performs it as his own and then and then sort of stabs himself in the side, uh, decides to become a martyr and stabs himself in the side and plunges a dagger into his yeah side. Isn't and... that... Um... What's it called? And then wakes up Harry in... Harry ho- Curie. Yeah, yeah, exactly, basically. Yeah. Disembowelment. Disembowelment, mm-hmm. essentially. And then, but he doesn't die and he wakes up in hospital and becomes a cause uh, celebre. 
and just loves it because the British media are like, oh, Craig Charles stole your poetry. But if you are listening to this, Richie Edwards, how dare you do dirty to my boy Craig, <laughs> this <laughs> personal hero of it's mine. Quite, it's quite funny that, that, that it's Craig Charles because he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's coming for, for a kicking from, from a DJ that I used to know from when I worked at the Thirsty Scholar, mm-hmm. which is a bar in Manchester. Uh, and um, yeah, he, he, he did just kind of like sort of uh, Northern Soul, uh, mm-hmm. old like first wave scar kind yeah. of uh, records. Yeah, yeah he does. Um, and uh, and and yeah, apparently Craig Charles came in once, and and this this DJ was thrilled that Craig Charles was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you know, then Craig Charles started doing nights of similar music, and this DJ yeah, was Craig like, Charles he stole my ideas, he stole my ideas, and he's hated Craig Charles ever since. So I mean, like Craig Charles gets a kicking from everyone. For he's not going to be the first DJ ever to play funk and soul tracks. Well, exactly. It's a bit different. Yeah, it's a bit different from like, stealing someone's actual poetry, yeah. which was a fictional story. Yeah, yeah. Craig Charles wrote his own poetry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to, to be honest, I think I think this guy's stealing the um, you know the, the ideas for for this DJ's record collection is also a fictional story. Yeah, yeah. he just came in on a good night and was thinking of doing. You know, in fact, he probably went into that night. So he was thinking, oh, I'm going to do oh, a funk and soul night. Fun. I like that music. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm going in. And the guy, like, yeah, it's yeah. not like Craig Charles went. This is a popular thing to do. Like Craig Charles <laughs> clearly has a passion for funk and soul music. Like, yeah, because he's got a lot of mileage out. <laughs> yeah, it'd be yeah. weird if he was just like, well, I'll just keep flogging this dead horse that I have no interest in. Craig Charles, if you don't know him, he's a Liverpudlian. A uh, gentleman who started life as a go. poet, became an actor and comedian, and then uh, now he's a radio DJ, and he is also technically... Hosted, hosted Robot Wars. And he was in Coronation Robot. Street. He was in Takeshi's Coronation Castle. Street, Takeshi's Castle, oh, yeah. all these TV shows. <laughs> but he is te- technically the best, worst DJ you'll ever see. He clearly doesn't know what he's doing, but he's having a lot of fun, and he's got a lot of little, like... Uh, sound tech goblins around him in case anything goes wrong and when it does go wrong it's really hilarious to watch them come in and plug stuff into the things and do certain things and he's like yeah so um yeah so the manics uh were a four piece they had a bassist called flicker and mm-hmm. nikki was originally on rhythm guitar but um yeah flicker left in 86 or 87 richie joined in 89 i think the band was on hiatus a little bit while they were at uni well while nikki was at uni because the other guys didn't go to uni, they just went. They just went straight to work because they were like, "We're going to be musicians." Richie joined in 1989. Um, he originally um, he he decided when he was at uni that he wanted to be a uh, in a in a rock band. Did he? Yeah, and okay. there's a story in with John Chase's like one of his old housemates from uni who said that um, one day she was trying to sleep. One night she was trying to sleep and she just heard this horrible pinging noise coming from the next room as she went in. So, and it was Richie's room. She went in and was like, what are you doing? And he was trying to play guitar. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, he was like, I'm going to be in a rock band. <laughs> to be honest so. with you, I, I identify with um, Richie Edwards quite a bit, to be honest, which mm. is, uh, he's the um, he's the mentally unhinged, talented one who can't play guitar for shit. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get on to that. Well, actually, I've got <laughs> it in my notes here. Um, so, yeah, famously, he supposedly never learned to play guitar. I wonder... How much of that is he really couldn't actually play, or it's just compared to James Dean Bradfield, who is essentially a super superhuman in terms of you know being able to sing like has a huge powerful range, mm-hmm. can play guitar like you know proper like kind of slash style you know riffs and and solos and mm. what have you, and also just jumps around the stage while he's doing it. He ba- like James yeah. Dean Bradfield basically is is the manics like musically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, definitely one of my vo- vocal heroes. That's yeah. quite a, a controversial statement. <laughs> Given that we're I'm talking sorry, about. <laughs> but it's true. No, okay. I will. I mean, I'm not. I'm not dismissing Richie's contribution That's at all. Say. I mean, current 
the current Mannics, it's just like, in terms of contribution, I do think that James's is like mm. by well, far is, the biggest. There is a tale that you, you were telling me the other day that like sometimes Richard forgets to plug his guitar in and would go for the whole set without realising. Just miming, yeah. Basically. I don't think I've told you that. Yeah, I mean, that um, that's something I've heard. I've never heard it like verified. Mm-hmm. Lots I of think... mysteries in this whole thing, though. That's yeah. what I like. I mean, I think, like, he didn't play on Generation Terrorists, nor did Nicky. James just did everything. James did everything on Generation Terrorists? And, yeah, apparently they didn't even use, they used a drum machine, but Sean programmed it. Okay. <laughs> it was the 90s, it was a weird time I for music. Yeah, so basically, it's so strange, isn't it? Basically, James, that is James's album. <laughs> Apart from the lyrics, he didn't write any of the lyrics. Imagine, imagine doing um, all of that. So he didn't play a Generation Terrorist, but he that did. It. I thought it was too subtle for everyone then. It's just that well, yeah, I've, I've released a couple of albums where it literally is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I yeah. think there's like a big precedent for it. I mean, Dave Grohl did the whole first Foo Fighters album. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think, you know, Trent Reznor, Nine Inch yeah. Nails. Apparently, apparently, Matt Bellamy can't play drums, but but he plays all the bass parts and stuff on yeah. the albums as well. So it's not like doesn't it's let, doesn't let the bass do anything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty. It's probably why the bass is an alcoholic. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a really good band. I'm not allowed to do What's anything. What's the point uh, of me? That's yeah. quite a masculine. I, re- like... I really hope that's not the case. If if you're listening to this bassist of uh, Muse, Chris Wilson home. Chris Wilson home. Um, Sorry, we value you. Quite you're a good lad. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think to be fair, he's one of the sickest bassists in in, in rock music, period. But but, but 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 yeah, but for some reason on the on, on the record, Bellamy won't let you do yeah, shit. Yeah. I mean, he's he's great live. He's amazing playing bass live. Yeah, so I, don't, I don't know why he doesn't let him do. That's really it. weird. Just, I wonder why that is. <laughs> uh, well, we are talking about weird place. musicians, so yeah. you know. Yeah, musicians are weird. Fact. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so uh, apparently he did play. On Gold Against the Soul, according to Withdrawn Traces. Okay. Um, um, yeah, there, there is a rumour that he was never plugged in on stage, but um, I think he was probably just really t- turned down very low in the mix <laughs> to allow for messy horrible. playing. And because, yeah. well, to allow for, like, his posing and stuff as well, that yeah. was kind of, you know, what he did back. Well, yeah, it does, it does <laughs> feel that where the man, early mics were concerned, they just push, like, Richie to the front just because he was a very beautiful boy. So he was he like, was get gorgeous. to the front, get to the front. And he was, I mean, I think not I only that. kind of like their bez in a way, then. Except, you know, uh, more, more no. Well, Could, considering that Richie hated the, the Happy, the, the Happy yeah. Mondays. Oh, yeah, which, yeah, they all did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. there's logo outs, which they probably are like. I mean, they, they came out at the same time and they were, like, just completely, like, yeah. diametrically opposed. Yeah. yeah, like, um, and that was one of the reasons that the Manics used to wear, like, their... When they, when they first started. I mean, like, this is another point. That another contribution of Richie's was the art direction. Mm-hmm. So with, yeah. you know, with the, the album covers and everything. But not only that, but also, like, styling the band, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the, like, their early image, um, when Richie joined, anyway, in 89, um, was tight white jeans, um, which was, you know, a reaction to, like, I don't think grunge had loose come fit. over here then, but yeah, like the the whole baggy Manchester kind of thing. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah there's the loose loose fit. There's um, Happy Monday's song that's literally about that stuff. Oh, there you go then. Yeah, I didn't know do, that. Do, 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 do. It's gonna be a loose fit. Yeah, it's gonna so be a loose very fit. Very much the opposite of that. I mean, the, um, thing, the thing I loved about the whole like Manics thing with getting Richie in is that Richie used to be their roadie. <laughs> He was just there rodeo and driving well, and they went, we need you in the band, mate, because we just love you. Well, this is the thing. Okay, so he, he started out as their driver and photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he probably, 
I mean, I hadn't heard of him being a roadie, but yeah, I guess he probably would have done some of that as well. It's just what you do. If, you, if you've if got a guy driving, you're like, dude, could you get all the, yeah, yeah, the helpers totally. with the equipment? So helping you with the equipment is literally just lugging amps in. You're definitely going to help with that if you're the driver. Like, but, but I would definitely also say, Richie, like, one of his main... His, his second strength after lyrics was as... His cheekbones. You know, marketing genius. <laughs> no, he was a marketing genius. And, and I do, <laughs> I do think that the Manics just... They wouldn't be famous today if it hadn't been for him being in the band yeah, and no, him, I, like, getting them started, I you agree. know. He used to say all of these, you know, like... He, he basically kind of came up with the vision for the band, mm-hmm. with the style of, like, you know, eyeliner, glitter, leopard skin, and, like, the white jeans. <clears throat> and, um, and yeah, he was kind of... He had this obsession with, with quotes as well, which is something that, obviously appeared on like all the early Manics albums and they still do it a little bit but it's just you know not to the same extent they just mm. have the odd one here and there um he would just see a quote he thought was cool and memorize it and then would you know like he would write them on his set lists and everything it was something that was really important to him which I find really interesting and I used to do that yeah. when I was a teenager because of that so um one of the kind of really grim things about Mark you know Richie's marketing was his you know, self-harm. And there's obviously the really famous for real, for real yeah. incident. Um, so after a gig in 1991, they were interviewed backstage by uh, Steve Lamack, who was then an enemy journalist mm-hmm. and is now a radio DJ. I used to listen to the evening session, like Steve Lamack's radio, evening session on Radio 1 every night when I was a teenager. That's where I got in all French, my music his from. name means Steve the Coat. Does it? Well, Lamack. Lamack. Oh, no. <laughs> I did wonder where it came from, but I feel like you're lying. <laughs> I feel like that's yeah, a joke. It's a am, joke. Yeah, yeah, I am taking the mick. Yeah. Jokes. Um, the Mac. You're taking the Mac. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, he was initially excited when he got their demo of Suicide Alley. Um, but then when he first saw them live, um, he thought they were a bit silly. Um, and he's, he quoted, like he said, they had all the wrong elements of 70s punk. So he wrote a bad review for them and then... On the 15th of May 1991, he was sent to interview them. So there was a little bit of an atmosphere already. Um, so there's a long, um, in, in Everything by Simon Price, um, there is a very, very long uh, transcript of the interview that Steve Lamack had with them, mm-hmm. preceded the for real incident. It kind of, like rereading it now as an adult, because I got this book when I was 14, when it first came out. So like um, rereading it as an adult, it does seem like Steve Lamack's being really purist and contrarian and just being like, well, I don't really understand why you dress like that. I don't really understand if you dress like that, why you have political lyrics. I don't really understand if you have political lyrics, why you dress like that. It literally goes around in, in circles. Yeah. And, so, and they're just like, this is our vibe. That sounds like a Stuart <laughs> Lee sketch, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, if you read it, it probably sounds like, a little bit yeah. like that. It's just kind yeah. of, he's Him just being really Morris unnecessarily like contrarian, which is, you know, yeah. really irritating to read. That's just that's the way I am. I like to be unnecessarily contrary. I don't it's think the best well. fun. That's where all the laughs come from. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the, like this is um, an extract from Everything okay. by Simon Price. As the, and so the conversation turned in futile, unresolved circles. When Lamax switched off the tape, Richie took him to one side. You got a minute, he asked. Would you mind if we go back, if we go and sort this out? Come backstage. There's one last thing I'd like to say. Lamac followed Edwards backstage and clarified his position. I just don't think a lot of people will think you're for real. I know you don't like us, Richie replied, but we are for real. When I was a teenager, I never had a band who said anything about my life. That's why we're doing this. Where we came from, we had nothing. While he was talking, Richie ro- rolled up the sleeve of his Spectators of Suicide shirt, 
that was a, a, a spray painted slogan that he put on his shirt, just okay. to clarify. Um, produced a razor blade out of nowhere and began dragging it across his left arm. Believe me, he implored again, we are for real. We're not the next Birdland. Don't know what that means. <laughs> I think they were a band, but I've never heard of. He continued with a slight, slight, a slight stammer. We do mean what we do. The first cut was the deepest. Fifteen further incisions of varying depth followed. On his forearm, Edwards had etched out the now immortal phrase, for real. Mm-hmm. Number uh, four, letters, R-E-A-L. I, I do feel sorry for Steve Lamack, to be honest with you, because ever since Richie disappeared, Steve Lamack almost um, annually gets letters on the anniversary of, or emails on the anniversary of Richie's death, going, I can't believe that you caused... Yeah, can't yeah. Uh, sorry, disappearance. Yeah. I can't believe that you've uh, like led him to disappear and possibly commit suicide. He's like I didn't. We were having a conversation. I was just interviewing him, and he did that. And I was like, because I I read I, I read something where like Stephen Mack literally after the interview just ran out and went to their publicist and went. I think you need to go and see. Yes. Like uh, Richie, I think you need to go and have check with him. See what he's done. Yeah, it was just. I think yeah. you know. I think uh, Richie was a bit upset by that like interview and, and like apparently yeah. the publicist was like, "What? What are you talking about, mate?" And then like was just like sauntered off going doopy doopy doo. And then it was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think to be honest, I think that um, that whole incident and like Steve Lamack not really doing anything to stop it, I think sums up just what the music industry was like in the nineties. Um, the, the, the whole idea of the the tortured genius thing being a thing, like you know the, yeah. the idea that you know you have to be crazy in a bad way to be able to make good art. I mean, I think, uh, I think and so there's it's a just lot like of... you know it's just like I don't care what what you know these these, these things actually do to people. It's just all part of a, a spectacle, like a freak well, show. Yeah, I, mean, I, I in, think in, that you know. there's a lot of truth in that, but I would definitely not put that at Steve Lamax's door because he was actually. There's there's a really funny thing that I only heard for the first time the other night, which is um, the Manics put it as a B-side on one of their singles, mm-hmm. this recorded conversation from the NME uh, office the day after, which is when they're all discussing whether to print the photos. So And Steve Lamack sounds absolutely traumatised. But like, so... You would be if somebody just... Yeah. Because according to Steve Lamack, it wasn't like a... <laughs> It was like literally he was just making eye contact Kept and still contact talking with him to him and carved and just, for real into and his so he, he was like it happened really quickly and I was like what the fuck is yeah <laughs> it, it's really like what would you mental. do if somebody started like ripping into the rock well I'm, I'd literally just be like what please no and I'd probably I... grab their arm and just be like just uh, don't do that I wouldn't be grabbing some mentally ill man's arm if he's got some sort of sharp object in the other arm <laughs> I mean I don't, I don't know like I guess I'm not saying know, I'm not saying have... there's anything else that, that Steve Lamack could have done. I just, I just, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't saying that as, a, oh yeah, we should all hate Steve Lamarck. No, no. Uh, it, it, it was more of a thing of just I'm like, I think, I think this was, you know, it's, it's just emblematic of a point when the music industry cared so little for the artists within it that it just, yeah. you know, it seemed like a kind of a cool and weird thing. Whereas, you know, if that happened today, it would be. Mm, a I mean, lot arguably, more... that still happens today. I, I, I think as long as it's entertaining, people love it. Well, like, yeah. that's, that's, that's the thing. Well, um, I, I, I actually, in fact, to be honest with you, this is probably a good example of how in the past these things happened. And, like, at the time, the interviewer might not have known how to deal with it. And then they go, on, should we post it? What well, we will do. And then today, it's like, yeah, you need to do that to get famous because it, yeah. it's arguably one of the like most famous things that the. Uh, you know, Manics have ever done, which is Richie harming himself in an interview. Yeah. You know? Well, this is the thing that's really sad about it. So, like, so the 
the photographs were taken, like Steve Lamack, you know, ran off, told the manager or, you know, one of their entourage, mm -hmm. like, you need to go and check on him. Um, he refused to have an ambulance called, Richie refused to have an ambulance called for him. So, um, like a, you know, journalist, uh, Jody Thompson, um, who was there at the gig, she, like, bandaged his arm and was like, I'm going to drive you to A&E. But after she bandaged his arm, either the photographer came up to Richie or Richie went up to the photographer and said, do you want a photo of this? Mm -hmm. Took the bandages straight off again and that's where the photos come yeah. from. Mm -hmm. um, so either could be true. I don't know. Like, it seems like the kind of thing Richie would be happy to kind of exploit <laughs> about himself. Yeah. Um, but also it seems like the kind of thing the music press would be happy to exploit. And the band didn't think it was a problem at all. Um, and uh, they, as Jodie Thompson, because like Richie was the only person who could drive at that point. So he was supposed to be driving the tour bus. This woman, Jodie Thompson, then drove them to Norwich A&E because the gig was at Norwich Arts mm -hmm. Centre or something. And uh, everyone else seemed very, very casual about it. James was watching Taxi Driver in the back of the van and Sean insisted on stopping for KFC and to be dropped back at the hotel. <laughs> Richie went to A&E and he insisted everybody be seen before him because his wounds were self-inflicted, then got the stitches. Um, I'm not surprised that they thought it, they were very casual about a horrific thing happening in an interview because I've got a quote here which made me laugh because yeah. I'm a more bastard as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, apparently, um, so in one of their interviews with Teen, Magaz Teen Magazine Smash Hits... Yeah, I remember the smash it. Richie, Richie said, our manifesto is kill yourself on your 13th birthday. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious to me. But, uh, Those smash... were the days, yeah. weren't they? <laughs> oh, smash Hits did not publish that interview because they were like, we can't publish this. <laughs> good. <laughs> wow, well, even then they had standards. That's good to know. But what I'm saying to you is that, like, of course, like something horrific happens in an interview and the rest of them are just like, yeah, whatever. It's just it's just Richie being Richie. Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty much what they said. And, like, um, Nick, like in everything by Simon Price like Jodie Thompson this onlooker journalist person was you know obviously really shocked and was like have you seen what he's done and Nikki was like just leave it it's just something he does alright <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he also in, in the manifesto documentary Nikki says he thought it was the coolest thing ever and he wished he could have done it but he just you know couldn't do that to himself which is the normal response <laughs> So, um, Steve Lamack, uh, no, sorry, Richie called Steve Lamack the next day and apologised. Yeah, they had a conversation. This is this normally gets left out. It's like, you mm. pushed him into doing that. And oh Richie's like, no, God. I, I did this. Do people really think that? Yeah, no, they really feel that, like, Steve Lamack, I mean, even you kind of voiced that opinion. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Steve Lamack pushed him into doing it. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, to be fair, I, like, my, my criticism wasn't wasn't of Steve, Steve Lamack, Lamack himself. It I get just, it. Yeah, yeah. It's the photographer, if, surely. If anything, well, yeah, if... If anything, I was I was saying that you know I, I don't think Steve Lamack's any more to blame than anyone else's because it was just the attitude at the time. It's yeah. like this is what artists do; they just do weird shit to themselves. That, that's exactly it. And if yeah. anyone's interested in this, and you know, trigger warning because if you've not seen the photos, they're horrible. They are um, grim. They're really really grim. I used to have a poster of this on my wall when I was like 13, 14 years old. What they the fuck? Be making posters of that. Me, I agree, but they and, did. Me and my mates carved four real into our arms with a compass when we were 13 and 14 years old. Yeah, see, like, what, we, the, what the hell? <laughs> Those were such different times. It's awful. Um, but yeah, the, if anyone is interested in this, there's a really funny conversation that I mentioned earlier. If you 
look up on YouTube, Sleeping with the NME, that's NME, NME the letters. NME. Yeah. <laughs> you can find the audio of this conversation because Mark Thomas, the comedian, was making a documentary about the NME officers okay. at the time. And that's when this incident happened. So there's this really funny conversation about them deciding whether to put it in the magazine or not. And obviously mm-hmm. they're kind of like, there's some people who are for, some people who are against, but yep. just like, this the kind of blaseness of a lot of the stuff is really funny. They're just like, it's in the great tradition of rock and roll. It's like Iggy Pop, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, why is that okay though? Yeah. So that was the, um, that was the very much the approach of the music press. But, uh... You've been vindicated in a statement by your girlfriend, Matt. There you go. Yeah, I mean, like, I yeah. think Matt is right, but it was exploitative. It's just hard to know if it was, if Richie was complicit in that exploitation. Yeah, it sounds to me like Richie was complicit um, because Richie had a very idealised and strange version of reality, to be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> and the really sad thing about that is, I mean, Sean said that, in hindsight, that seemed like the very beginning of Richie's downward spiral over the okay. next, you know, four years. Yep. But a week after that incident, that's when they got their major label signing to Columbia. Really? How fucking horrible is that? That is pretty horrible. Yeah. Like, that's awful. Hey, you guys are damaging yourselves. That's pretty cool. Let's get you signed. Yeah. <laughs> so, I We're going to go far, boys. Yeah. So that's all you've got to do to get a major label contract, guys. Pound a of ten flesh, album folks. deal. Yeah, pound nonetheless. of flesh. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Get me a razor. Half shit Very much pound of flesh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's indeed. Just to skip over the the next couple of years from ninety one yeah. to ninety four, um, they released their first album. Now their plan had always been, or they'd always kind of made this big noise of like, we're gonna we're gonna record the best rock album ever. We're gonna sell sixty million copies. Uh, it's either sixteen or sixty. I can't remember, but it's what Appetite for I think Destruction. It was 16. Yeah, it was what Appetite for Destruction sold. That was like by Guns N' Roses. That was their kind of benchmark. And then straight after that, they're gonna become the biggest band of the world. Straight after that, they were gonna split up. That mm-hmm. was always the plan. Um, then, so they released Generation Terrorists mm-hmm. on tenth of February, nineteen ninety-two, which is nearly thirty years ago. <laughs> oh. I can't handle this. Mm. Oh, it reached number 13 in the charts. Um, but, like, unfortunately, the timing was kind of bad. Like, the release coincided with the Brit Awards. So, like, the winner's sales would have kind of pushed their yeah. album down down the charts a little bit. Mm-hmm. So they always said they, they had a, a, a disdain for people who had lifelong careers in music. They did. What, um, what was the... I've got, I've got a free... I've got, go a, I've got a quote. It was, uh, we've got to reach out on a massive level. Mm. Once we've done that... We'll fade away. You'll never hear from us again. Bye. And that's pretty much what Richie did. When uh, was that? When did he that say that? That was in 1991 that he said okay, that. Okay, yeah. So pre, pre-first album. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So after Generation Terrorists, according to, you know, by major label standards, the sales were disappointing. Obviously, that's a standard that is hard to maintain or to, mm-hmm. hard to reach in the first place. So whatever. Sounds like they did pretty good to me. Got to 13 in the charts. But so. but to be honest with you, I, I can tell you exactly why that album failed. Because uh, it's full of filler? No, well, it's <laughs> basically, it's supposed to be, it sounds kind of punk rock, but they fall apart at the last minute because, like, you know, they've got, they go, you love us, oh, you love us, and then that goes on for six minutes rather than two minutes, 13. You're like, if you carry on doing that, we're not going to love you, mates. Like, they yeah. dial it back a bit. There's a lot <laughs> No of- one needs a six-minute recording yeah. of that like it's two minutes I mean I would say that's the whole problem with Be punk rock <laughs> yeah that's the whole problem with generation terrorists generally is that like because they were always said it was going to be a double album and I don't know why 
that was. Is there? A, there's a Guns N' Roses double album, right? Because they were obsessed with Guns N' Roses, so I think that's probably why that where that came from. Yeah, like if I could make a track listing for Generation Terrorists, it would probably be like ten songs long. But then it would be like the best album ever because there's some fucking great songs on there. They're still too there's long also though. There's loads to, of filler. They just need to short it down and just. Yeah, they need to edit. This like is, Lord this of the is, Rings. This is some advice about songwriting, Matthew, that you might need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so Matthew, if if you're ever like writing lyrics down and you think, hey, you know what, this this, this could just go on and on and on. Don't two minutes, three minutes. I think four, if it's got, three, if four, like four's fine. Four's fine of... if it's got lots of like swerves and changes. Yeah, you're just doing like overly long and yeah. bloated and verse, chorus, verse, chorus, yeah. like you love us. It's a good chorus, but. I'm quite Not good. On the I'm, I'm, I'm already quite good at truncating my songs. Truncating. Thank you. Um, uh, what Richie said about Generation Terrorists. Might know the um, elephant. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Richie said about Generation Terrorists. Everyone knows the first album would have been better if, they, if we'd left out all the crap. <laughs> Which is oh, self-aware. Self, Perfect. Self-burn. Self-burn. Yeah. So uh, the second album, which they promised they would never make, came out in twenty on twenty first of June, nineteen ninety three. It was kind of made to appease the record company. It was considered by them to be an artistic failure and by the label is considered to be a commercial failure. It got to number eight in the charts, is which that, is obviously an improvement. Is that the second, the second album was Gold against considered the soul. Yeah. a commercial failure? Yeah, it got to number eight in the charts, Jesus. which isn't good enough. It's not good enough, guys. Anything short of the top three, I guess, means you're on thin ice with the label. That's, that's how it comes across with this anyway. So um, different times in nineties, different times. Like oh. these days, Spotify. Oh, we got some views. Great. Yeah, exactly. Like oh, I got ten p royalties this week. I feel very proud of that. Yeah, very different days. Um, so after after the disappointing sales of Generation Terrorists and Gold Against the Soul, there were alleged there was allegedly talk of Sony. I've written Sony, but I think there's like. Smaller labels under the Sony bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Yeah. So Columbia, so yeah, Columbia, I think, was the one they were on. Yeah, Columbia was the one they yeah, were on. Yeah, I've kind of got confused by that because who gives a shit really about that? It's just bureaucracy, right? Yeah. So whatever their label was, they had. Um, there were some tense conversations, and allegedly there was uh, talk of of them being dropped mm-hmm. by the label because you know they only got to number eight in the album charts, which they should be ashamed of. Apparently, it had always initially been the band versus the label. And then it got to a point in 1994 when it was the label and the band versus Richie. Oh, God. It sort of got to a point where Richie was, you know, becoming more and more like digging his heels in about like, this is what our, this is what my vision is for the band. And he kind of was the band leader because he was, you know, the marketing genius behind the lyricist, everything. The main lyricist. The main lyricist and the, you know, kind of icon. And he'd literally bled designer. for the band. <laughs> Yeah, he did blood sacrifice for the band. Um, so yeah, you can understand him feeling aggrieved because the band were just like, I guess like he probably really meant all the stuff they said when they were younger and more idealistic of just like, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna make the best album ever then disappear. Yeah, Whereas yeah, everyone got, else was just like, actually, we'd quite like to keep doing this. I've got to say, so. as somebody in their 30s reading half the shit that Richie said, I was like, if, if you were still around, you'd be like, oh God, what a pretentious yeah. wanker I was back in. But he yeah. was in his, he was, I was going to say he was in his 20s, no offence Matt, but he was in his 20s, like he was, you know, he's yeah, like, I know, but, but we were all idiots then. Matthew's older than Richie was when he disappeared, I know. so there you go, like you've, you've not joined the yeah, 27 Club, which is a mystery within itself, the 27 Club, but, but um, I mean, Richie come up, yeah. might well have joined. Yeah. Well, yeah, but so, uh, and, and also I'm, I'm quite significantly older than 
than he was when he was saying all these things. As this well. is true. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so what happened with Richie in the Priory then? That's what I want to know because I I don't have any of that information. Sure. Okay. So that's the um, mental hospital. Yeah. It's it's a oh, detox yeah. place. Yeah. No, yeah. it's a mental hospital. My jaw stopped working. I couldn't Your jaw hospital. stopped working. On the eighteenth of July, nineteen ninety four, Richie attempted suicide in oh. his Cardiff flat. Um, he slit his wrists. 1994, was that? Mm-hmm. Okay. He slit his wrists in the bath. Okay. And he called his parents and said, I think I've done something stupid. They came over, took him to A&E. On the edge of the bath, there was also like an empty vodka bottle and a block of cannabis. Um, resin. Good old resin. Oh, my God. Yeah. Reminds me of my childhood so much. Your ch- oh, you wow, see, that's grim. Back in the day, <sighs> before... Um, before you know, we got... all this skunk before, and... Yeah, before the skunk, yeah. Basically, um, we came in little brown blocks of uh, plastic and it was like plastic and smelled like vinyl and it was... You're probably smoking... Sounds plas- like it had petrol in it. Yeah, you were literally just smoking like records, like old records that you melted down <laughs> with little bits of like weed just dusted into it and that that was my childhood, just getting stoned on that. Um, I don't that recommend it. so much, AJ. Yeah, exactly. You just kill your <laughs> brain cells. Basically, they used to get like milk crates. They get little milk crates. They just melt them down into like blocks of... Um, what they would then call cannabis, and then you smoke that, going, yeah, this is great cannabis. And then all of a sudden, uh, you guys have got skunk, and you don't know you were born. Uh, please continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> so when well, he got to... Um, actually, just on, on a slight side note, a lot of uh, a lot of weed is grown in the, the area U- where I grew up. Yeah, yeah the UK yeah. these days. Yeah, weed's now grown in the UK rather than imported... In a uh, a man's ass mm. from um, Libya. So. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> yes, it's very very uh, easy to grow it in uh, in the east of England, an area called New South Holland. Um, huh. And actually, a lot of the weed that you can get in Amsterdam is grown in the fens in England. But you have to go over there to be able to smoke it without getting well trouble. no you, I mean, you don't have to. I mean, yeah, if, don't if, commit if you want to do it legally. Activities. Then yeah, but, that's but, exactly what I said. But, yeah. Um, when they got to A&E uh, in Cardiff, they couldn't, they refused to give him a psych assessment, I guess it was their policy, because he had alcohol and cannabis in his system. So he stayed at his parents' house that night and got taken back in the next day. He was then seen by a consultant psychiatrist mm-hmm. and sent to um, a local NHS psychiatric hospital called mm-hmm. the Whitchurch, um, which was kind of like notorious locally you know if you acted a bit silly it would be like a common saying of like oh don't be careful they'll send you to the witch church i guess it was kind of like bedlam or something like that yeah yeah synonymous with loony bin i guess so richie was in there for only eight days in that time yeah in that time jamesy bradfield visited him and richie said that he was thinking he should probably step back from the band and still contribute lyrics and art but not be a performing member mm-hmm. because it was just taking its toll on his mental health james said okay if that's what you want but then when james left and arrived home again richie called him in tears saying he changed his mind uh, it's so- hard to give up your baby though isn't it it's really hard to give up your baby yeah. and also they're such good close mates that like saying yeah. oh i'm not gonna hang out with you as much is it's hard i mean that's mm. yeah that's Definitely true, and also, I mean, what was he, 94, so he would have been 26 at this point, so, mm-hmm. like, I guess they were all still quite young, but, like, Nikki had got married, and I think the other guys, you know, were in long-term relationships, and Richie did have a girlfriend called Joe, but it was, it seemed like it was a lot more casual. Well, I mean, Richie, uh, Richie said, and I, I identify with this, Richie said that he was incapable of love, he said he just struggled with it. 
I mean, he definitely... hard. When yeah. you feel that way, it takes you... It's tolling you. I think he definitely did struggle with it, but he did have a girlfriend for four years. Yeah. And um, you try. And he had... Best. Yeah, he <laughs> had a, he'd had a girlfriend before that at uni, but um, they were only together for a few months, and it mm-hmm. was very, very passionate, and he used to, you know, buy her lots of... Uh, cuddly toys and flowers and all kinds of things did everything right but he was just like really jealous you, you really say you're doing everything of... right but that's you know cuddly toys all the well, time you know it? you're not Bruce Forsyth mate back off like, I mean yeah. I have to say <laughs> that sounds good to me <laughs> hint 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 <laughs> so my house is full of cuddly toys yeah. but, actually um, this, this episode is going out two days after Shelley's birthday oh so, uh, so, uh, so, uh, so we're going to review this after Shelley's <laughs> birthday and if this see house how well is you not did. full of yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you've just set yourself up there my friend I am expecting a <laughs> truckload of cuddly toys and just, you're going to yeah. be like nice to see you to see you <laughs> fluffy <laughs> Well, not for you, so you're not going to know. Well, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be tell coming. him. I'll <laughs> see them. I will see them. I would hope I would come and see a whole house full of cuddly okay. toys that I can't wait. I thought we were recording a podcast. I've got this unicorn under my arm. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, the other Manics were like settling down, growing up, whereas Richie kind of seemed to stay in the same place he had mentally, spiritually, I guess, mm. for when they started the band, when he first joined the band. Very idealistic. Like, sort of a little bit, like, Im- emotionally immature. Yeah. So it was hard for him to see everyone else growing up. Apparently, at Nicky Wire's wedding, he was, like, visibly crying a lot. <laughs> so, like, you know, I don't think it was ever explained why, but it does well, seem like a weird way to behave at your best friend's wedding. No, it, it's like me every time I comb my hair back and see my uh, receding hairline, which is now <laughs> yeah, halfway like, like, oh, like, oh, dumb head. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, um... Good. So, yeah, he was at the Wit Church mm-hmm. for eight days. And because it just was just quite an underfunded, terrible facility, and it just seemed to be... He was put on Librium for alcoholism because mm-hmm. his drinking was pre- apparently, reportedly like very, very um, problematic at that point. <laughs> but his sister seems to think it wasn't as bad. Or, no, well, he, or Joe, his girlfriend, possibly. Which is ridiculous. Uh, as a man who's had three beers in this session so far. Oh, my God, yeah. have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are small though, they look stubby. Yeah, I know. That's not a challenge. Emasculate me while I'm trying to drink. No, um. So anyway, uh, he was then moved to the Priory in Roehampton. Mm -hmm. So is that London? It's where everybody learns to row. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So. (laughs) I don't know why that was so funny. (laughs) I think it was just your deadpan delivery. Yeah. Um, so um, at the Priory, um, he had group therapy, which I cannot imagine <laughs> Richie having, but fine. In his first few days at the Priory, I find this really interesting. He was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot of sense, given his history of everything that happens in his life. I mean, it does, but that just, I don't think it really means anything because BPD is essentially an umbrella term mm-hmm. for someone being a bit troubled. I mean, obviously these days it's been um names been changed to emotionally unstable mm-hmm. personality disorder yeah um and borderline means borderline of neurotic and psychotic mm-hmm. so i can see a lot of that in richie but it's just if you look at the symptoms it's pretty vague yeah um so there was another um doctor that sarah harwis jones uh, am i getting that right i think so um the author of withdrawn traces spoke to in researching the book who said um, he didn't agree with the diagnosis. But then it says, like, he refused, he declined to comment further. And it's like, well, yeah, he can't, he's a doctor. He can't just say, like, 
do you want to see his notes? Yeah, <laughs> Here exactly. you go. Yeah. Here's his folder. Yeah. Um, Patient confidentiality. Yeah. Is, uh, not but, important. But because <laughs> of um, Richie's anorexia, because he just, you know, wasn't eating. He was, you know, really underweight. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen one interview with him where he looks so gaunt. Oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. It's It's, it's mm. pretty horrible, like how kind of skinny he was and mm -hmm. frail but um to try and deal with that at the priory they put him on 60 milligrams of fluoxetine or prozac as it was more commonly known um and that the idea of that was like he would feel better and then start eating normally mm -hmm. because obviously mm -hmm. starving yourself is linked to intrusive thoughts and mm -hmm. bad yeah. feelings so yeah. but it didn't uh, work and he lost we, weight well, no no really oh, yeah. everything everything, everything i'd lost. heard up to everything i'd heard lost about prozac weight. up to this point have been that it works for everyone and it's great it's an ssri Mm. It's an SSRI. Really? It's yeah, yeah. Oh, right. I've heard so many, I, I hate many, them. many problems. I hate SSRIs. You hate them. I love them. I just, that's the, my favourite thing in the world. It made me Sorry, feel really. <laughs> Ill. I, yeah, I. I Wait, I, SSRIs. I, I took it. I took it, took it very. Life. I took it for well. Uh, yeah, I wish they would fix my life. They just made I know. Me feel rough I, as anything. Yeah, I do feel very lucky that it was that simple for me. Yeah. It seems like it wasn't for Richie because he. Um, no. <laughs> he he lost no weight shit. while he was at the priory. That's terrible. Yeah. Um. Who knows why that was? Um, his sister said that she thinks that because he'd been put on a special diet to try and help him gain weight, he she noticed his teeth were looking like they were starting to corrode. Oh, Jesus. Um, so he oh, could have been, you know, purging, basically. Mm -hmm. He also did a 12-step program for alcoholism, which I'm, I'm not sure, like, how successful that was because he kind of was, you know, very sceptical about religion and spirituality. He was fascinated by it, but I don't think D he bought Doug into Stanhope it. Doug Stanhope talks about that at length. Mm. And he, he, like, Doug Stanhope's point... Doug Stanhope's a stand-up comedian. His point about, um like, the 12-step program is hilarious because he basically says... Like, it's like, yeah, if you're not... They, they basically say, if you're not religious, create your own God. Yeah. <laughs> and so his joke with that is... Well, um, I'm an alcoholic, so I guess my God's going to be... If I'm going to be a monotheist, my God will be vodka, because it just goes with everything. Oh, my <laughs> God. Which is a good point. It's like, yeah. I suppose like, so. Creating your own God is a ridiculous thing to tell someone who's, like, yeah. deep in the throes of, like, being a slave to something. Well, according yeah. to um, Everything by Simon Price, um, Richie chose to... Because it was a 12-step program, you have to... Um, Surrender yourself to a higher power. That's the basic. Yeah, which you know, is an awful for them, of piece it. of advice to anyone well, who's like already surrendered themselves to a higher power. Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly how that's supposed to work psychologically, but Richie decided to choose his dog, oh, Snoopy, Snoopy, which oh, is cute. so cute. Yeah. Yeah. What I was going to say is, 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 is that where the name for the Holy Bible comes from? Snoopy. Um, no, the <laughs> surrendering yourself to a higher power. No, because the Holy Bible, I think, had already been recorded at this point because it came oh, out okay. on the 30th of August, and this is July. Um, oh, yeah, okay. in that case, yes, then. <laughs> so the Holy Bible is something we should definitely talk about. It's the Manic's third album, mm -hmm. and yeah. anyone who's not listened to it, I really would recommend listening to it, but... If you want to feel depressed and hate yourself... Well, no, 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 let me... <laughs> ah, uh... No, no, that's not true. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me finish that point. I, would, I really would recommend anyone listen to it because it is fascinating. I recommend you listen to it while reading the lyrics. Don't do it alone because it like, yeah, can it's, can be a it's, bit it's upsetting. One, it's one of the bleakest things ever It is very bleak. It's basically like a concept album about the worst of humanity, which is a really interesting, you know, miserable <laughs> concept for an album. But I think, you know, it's, it's really fascinating and it really does give 
a lot of insight into Richie's mindset because he wrote eighty five percent of the lyrics for that, didn't he? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Nicky wrote. Uh, I think he co-wrote a couple of songs. Yeah. I think this is yesterday actually is one of Nicky's. But yeah, the rest of it is the the subjects in um, the Holy Bible, like the the basis for some of the songs is mm -hmm. um, serial killers. There's archives of pain, which is about serial killers, and the chorus is just a list of serial killers. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's a song called Four Stone Seven Pounds, which is about anorexia. Four stone seven pounds is the average weight at which an anorectic person dies. Yeah. Which is what that's about. That's the one that always upset me the most. Yeah. I have to say, if you read the lyrics to that song, it's so chilling because it's told in the first person mm -hmm. from the point of view of, of a teenage girl, I think, starving herself. Um, there's also the song Yes, which is the first song on the album. Really funny little piece of trivia about, <laughs> about the Holy Bible is the fourth word in the album is cunts which is hilarious. Um, so the song Yes is about <laughs> prostitution. And I always thought it was just a little bit insulting, I suppose, of Richie to, he would kind of compare himself to a prostitute. And there's these lines, it's told in the first person again. But um, well, again, you sell like, your body and he did literally give parts of his body away for it. Uh, no, he didn't literally. He Not in the him. same way that a prostitute he, does. Well. He cut himself. He chose to, you know, inflict pain on himself. And he, you know, when they first started out, he would say, you know, we're prostitutes for the music industry. Yay. That was, you know, something they said as a marketing device. To then, like, you know, a few years later, complain about that and say, you know, oh, I feel just like a, you know, a woman who's has to sleep with 20 men a day and, you know, let them use all my orifices and stuff. I think that's insulting. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I do understand that it is metaphorical. Um, so, you know. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, also, neither sounds particularly fun, uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I Except one does have a lot more money involved in it. So yeah. Like, I know which one I'd rather do. Yeah. Um, there's two <laughs> songs on it. Which one would you rather do, dear listeners? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> please, write, please write in. Answers on a postcard. No. Um, there's also two songs about the Holocaust. There's Mausoleum and the Intense Humming of Evil. So, so yeah, Richie was quite obsessed with the Holocaust because he studied mm. it at... Cardiff University, didn't he? So that's uh, that's one thing he that he did, did do. There's yeah. a lot of um, very obscure politicians named in the song Revol. Mm -hmm. People I've never heard of. Oh, not just Revol, of Walking Abortion as well. That's track three. Great name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's also kind of about the Holocaust as well, actually. So, the, well, this is the thing. So there's this, three songs about this, the Holocaust. This leads quite neatly on to the fact that there's various theories as to why Richie disappeared and where he went. And one of those is that he actually went to Germany without his passport, somehow. Ah, uh, uh, well, I well, can explain that. Well, well. For the anniversary of, um, of the Holocaust, because he was so into it. He's so into it. Yeah. Not in like a kind Loved of pro. It. He wasn't pro. Oh, <laughs> do, you, do you know what Newport in Wales is famous for, AJ? Uh, the Holocaust? No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the few cities in the UK, and there's only about four or five, that has a passport office. Oh, uh, So, okay. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get onto that in a sec. Let me just find where I got to, because I had to go back. Okay. Richie was discharged <laughs> from the Priory on the 8th of September, okay. 1994. Um, the band had played some gigs as a three-piece um, at festivals, like Tea in the Park, over the summer, because I guess they needed to promote their album, and it's probably a contractual issue. But also, um, they needed to fund... Richie's medical bills for the Priory because it was not cheap. Mm -hmm. So when he was discharged, he was recommended to stay longer and declined it, but and he also declined the aftercare plan. He just felt like it wasn't working for him. Yeah, that makes sense. Fine. I mean, mm -hmm. mm, okay. So 
Then less than two weeks after that, he joined the band on their European tour in France. One night, Nicky Wire said they had to put him to bed because he just burst out crying and didn't stop. Uh, there's one interview with Simon Price, I think in the NME or Melody Maker, one of them, where Sean, Simon asks where um, Richie is and someone says he's gone to bed and Sean goes, Richie doesn't go to bed, he goes to the abyss. <laughs> oh. Which is, I know, sad, but quite gallows humour. I like gallows humour. Yeah, well, so did, so did Richie. Um, yeah. I've got, I've got another quote. Well, I've got another quote that made me chuckle. Um, it was by one of his teachers when he was a kid. Mm. By one of his teachers when he was a kid, and it made me laugh. Uh, Richie needs to be careful not to let his sense of humour run away with him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, what one of his that. teachers wrote about <laughs> because he basically he, that yeah, yeah, well, he just like he likes sick jokes. He likes to shock people. He likes to make them laugh, and I'm all about yeah. that Richie one of one of my oh. favourite stories from his childhood mm-hmm. was when they were going on a school trip to like France or Holland or something and they were all in the bus and the teachers were like letting the kids like play their own tapes in the um, the coach mm-hmm. cassette player and it came to Richie's turn and he put his tape in and it was the full tape was like I'm guessing 90 minutes long of, it was like an avant-garde art piece of just screaming and wailing <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing in the book in, with John Traces it said they left it on for 10 minutes before turning it off that's a long time that is a long time no I like that that's teachers humouring <laughs> I know but I just some little asshole really made me laugh out loud I was like oh bless you I definitely had teachers humour me for my nonsense book when I was a kid <laughs> good um, to know yeah. okay so the tour there was a band called Dub War who were mm-hmm. a metal reggae band now great. I've never heard of such a thing um, but fair enough. Um, they're called Dub War. They supported them. They'd supported them in the past, so they knew the band. Mm-hmm. But um, the singer Benji Webb um, described them as be- uh, described Richie, sorry, as coming across as sketchy as fuck on this tour, mm-hmm. um, and that he would say no more than two words to you and then run away. And one day, their bassist sat next to him and blurted out, and Richie blurted out, "You can't be here now." So the bassist got up and went away and was like, "Okay, that was weird." Um, and then there was one night that he was sitting in the dressing room in the dark listening to, um, and they, they asked like, there was like ear splitting metal, Sepultura, um, actually coming out of the dressing room, mm-hmm. but the lights were off and someone asked who was in there and they were like, it's Richie. He was just sitting in the dark listening to Sepultura. That sounds like a good night to me, mm. but, um, that's just maybe me. I mean, on its own, not that weird, but in, yeah, you know, yeah. in context, it's kind of, yeah. Bells, you know? When that's one of the less weird things that you've done over a period of a few weeks, true, then true. that's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Um, Dub War were kicked off the tour. The management got kicked um, off the tour. Yeah, the, the man- management called them after eight days mm-hmm. and said they were no longer required. Terminated the contract, and it turned wow. out that one of their roadies had described Richie as swanning around. Cardiff showing off his scars, which, you know, obviously was a bit offensive to them. But also something um, that he pretty much did do, because every time... Maybe. I've seen loads yeah. of videos in the past week of him just, like, rolling up his sleeves going, it's healing quite well. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true, but, like, he was probably asked about it. Maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> by the journalists and stuff. But, yeah, his girlfriend Jo said that after the hospital, after his, his stay in hospital, which was about six weeks long... Mm-hmm. Um, he was he he did seem different. He seemed more gloomy, tearful, and shivering is how she described him. Oh, this is a really important quote. This is really so yeah, this is really dark. Okay. Prepare okay. yourself. 
this is Joe speaking. Uh, this is a quote from Withdrawn Traces. One night, I knew he was, he was hiding something from me. He wanted to tell me. It took until dawn for him to say that he wanted to chop his fi- off his fingers. Jesus. This was no joke. He was serious. He was scared. He said he felt like he had no choice. It took hours of reasoning and persuasion for him to rationalise. He felt he had no control over his thoughts. I had never seen him like that before. It was frightening. He kept knives and choppers under the bed. They're still there. So still in his flat, I guess. Who could I speak to? I tried talking to the others. So it seemed like... I mean, in, in Everything by Simon Price, uh-huh. he says that he, he bought a meat cleaver while on tour to cut his hand off or his fingers off, and it was confiscated off him. So maybe there were two separate incidents. I don't mm. know. That that particular tour ended when was it? It was in December. Yes. Yeah, so so it was it was ended early mm-hmm. when on the first of December in Hamburg, Richie was found outside the hotel banging his head against the wall, repeating "I want to go home" over and over again. His face was drenched in blood. Jesus. So, yeah. Fair enough. See, so, so they were like, "Yeah, we should probably go home." Pink, yeah. Pink Floyd literally went said, "You can't be in the band anymore, mate, because you're too mentally unstable and this is bad for you." Why the hell didn't the manager just go, Richie, mate? This we love you, but this is not working out. Like, you well, this to is go the home. thing, and like that well. tour, that European tour, there was huge, huge tensions between the band and the label and Richie because they they didn't know what to do. Basically, um, sack him. You just go look. They dude, were all, we love you, and we'll pay you. We'll but he was their home. friend as well, so yeah. maybe they were just like you know, and maybe it's just sort of out of loyalty i don't know but um terrible escalating behavior though isn't it that's yeah. what it is and i mean especially like, loyalty is our friends are fuck up but he loves it and if that's the case then yeah but if the guy's like that yeah. he's like this isn't this isn't out of loyalty yeah. this is like that you need to go home like, i mean there's a lot of there was a lot of uh tension between them like james um and richie used to go out drinking together a lot and then it came to a point where richie was obviously and um, recovery from alcoholism so James couldn't drink in front of him and while you're on tour quite a big part of the lifestyle I guess so that yeah. you know made James a little bit resentful apparently mm-hmm. yeah. um, there was one night when Nikki and Richie had like a screaming row which has just never happened before when um, you know Nikki was saying like if you're if you ever like cut yourself again then you're out of the band mm-hmm. which is you know really sweet it's obviously like desperation but yeah, so Nicky describes that tour as the worst time of his life. It oh. was even worse than Ricky, um, Ricky, than Richie's disappearance because it was just this. They were witnessing, you know, hour Did by hour, this descent into madness. Yeah, it must no, have been so scary. Yeah, I, I can, yeah, understand that. Would probably be worse. So, yeah. so what happened? So, the, so, so that was so that was in, in on the first of December or the thirtieth of November. That was their last mm. gig then. First of December. No, their their final gig. They did they did three gigs. At the London Astoria, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's something like the 18th, the 20th, and the 21st of December. Mm-hmm. 21st of December was definitely the last one because that was the day before Richie's 27th birthday. Oh wow! Okay. Do you see where we're going with this? And so, that was his last ever gig. For... That was Richie's last ever gig with the band. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that night they trashed the stage and caused 26,000 pounds worth of damage. Wow! They felt like I actually had a bootleg. Of two of those gigs, but I think it was the first two, not mm-hmm. the final one, where they smashed everything. But um, they were great. Like it was like a, a cassette tape. What are they even called? VCR? Cassettes. VC- yeah, VCR. Tape. Yeah. No, no, VCR's video. Isn't it? Yeah, video tape. Video tape. Yeah. A video. Yeah. That's the word. <laughs> oh my god. I had a video, like a bootleg video of those gigs, and mm-hmm. they were really, really great. Um, really, really intense and like you know, as you can imagine. Uh, yeah. But not the final one. 
yeah, they said they felt at the end after they smashed everything, I think this is Nikki's quote, that he described it as feeling like something had ended. Mm-hmm. But what they thought was they were about to just get dropped from their label. Yeah. But actually, they were right, but it was just the last gigs they'd ever do with Richie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... We um, go to January yeah. 2000. Well, well, I think... 2000, January... 95. 95. 95. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's two things to mention here. Is mm-hmm. Firstly, leading up to the disappearance, they were planning to go... Well, I, mean, I mean, they were basically on their way to go into America mm-hmm. to tour America and try mm-hmm. and make it big there. Uh, the other thing to to mention is that the dog died. Um, Snoopy. Yeah, Snoopy. Um, yeah. Oh, Annie, Annie, Annie proposed to Joe. He did propose to Joe. She he turned does. down. Well, I've well. got, okay, I've got Ooh, a list of, of the days shit. coming up, to, like the timeline, sorry, uh, leading up to his disappearance. So yeah, final gig with the Mannix, 21st of December, 94, the day before his 27th birthday. On New Year's Eve, he went to see his friend who wasn't in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stayed and had a cigarette on the porch with his friend's mum and they remis- reminisced about old times and etc. Mm-hmm. Um, closed the door. She closed the door and uh, half an hour after she looked out the window and noticed he was still sitting there looking very sad. So he seemed, you know, being at a loose end on New Year's mm-hmm. is quite a sad image, but I don't know if that was sort of by, ch- well, obviously it wasn't by choice because he went to see his friend. Mm. So I just think that's quite a sad recollection of of him yeah. um, mm-hmm. at the beginning of January 1995 he asked Joe to marry him and she said no and they ended their four year relationship wow and Nikki said to Richie when he you know went to him for, for comfort <laughs> Nikki said well you did spend the first two years of the relationship drinking and the rest cutting yourself I mean Ooh, true though. Bit, bit yeah, harsh. but pretty harsh. harsh, man. But like, if you think like Nikki is like his colleague and he's seen it every day, he's yeah. probably a little bit like, Can you not see what you're like? Yeah. I think that's like, what it oh. demonstrates. It's pretty brutal when you propose to somebody and uh, they turn you down from personal experience. Oh no. So So a few days after that braces. Snapping my braces the, uh, <laughs> for, I told you I identify Richie a bit too much. 14th of January 1985, Richie's dog Snoopy died. And that had been, you know, obviously his longest friend. friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not a joke when a pet dies. That's the thing you're... And like one of the yeah, one of the things that makes it even worse is that everyone just expects you to be able to brush it off. Mm. Which is, you know, yeah, ridiculous. Not, yeah. They're a family member. So, right. yeah, there's like a really kind of sad quote from his sister Rachel saying like she remembers him like lying on the floor like cuddling Snoopy's body and just crying oh my god he was cuddling the dead oh. Oh, have you never really done sad. that no. I definitely did that with my dog my, my dog my dog died not near me so Aww. I did my my mum just phoned me and I bet crying. if you'd been there you would have been well my mum was yeah my mum did all that dog. and I basically had a long conversation with her saying you haven't just killed mm. the dog the dog was very sick she was like feeding it water with a spoon and it, right died oh, you, you're yes. like and she's like I've just killed a dog it's like no you were feeding the dog water with a spoon because that's all it could do so come yeah. on yeah. you've not killed it <laughs> like, yeah. oh bless that's well, awful all of... Richie saw his friend Mark Hambridge a few right. days after he called him and said that I think his his car had broke down somewhere mm-hmm. um, Richie called him a taxi and he came to Richie's flat in Cardiff and um, he was shocked by his appearance because Richie had shaved his head and was wearing this is a quote from Mark Hambridge. Striped concentration camp pyjamas. Wow. He thought it was probably just another look Richie was trying out. 
and Richie things. had in the past told his his girlfriend from uni, Claire, that he had a bit of a habit of shaving his head as a response to emotional trauma. But like apparently he'd also just like cut off a little bit when he'd come back from Joe, you know, rejecting him and breaking up with her, uh, breaking up with him, and um, he'd like cut up some of his hair in frustration, then had a bald patch to so just shave the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And Rachel did say. Um, there was a lot of talk of like the significance of him shaving his head, but he changed his hair a lot. So she yeah. she decided not to read much into it. But then there is just generally the concentration camp look, which is very richy. Mm. Well, you know, yeah. it seems yeah. like I mean, he obviously was... the, the shaved head. Well, I mean, we, everyone knows what that means. We don't need to go into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. So in January, uh, the band had gone back into the studio for five days to record demos for album four mm-hmm. because. I can't remember what number. Um, I think the Holy Bible got to number six in the charts, which is... Two better than the previous one. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's number six, which is, considering that album, it's that's that's crazy, but cool. Well done. Um, but it's now considered one of the best albums but of that, all time. Well, yeah, but to be honest with you, that's what happens with a lot of cult classics. Most yeah. of them become cult Unappreciated cla- in their time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think it probably the last thing that somebody recorded before they went completely insane and disappeared. Like, you know, that's probably the reason so many people have bought it and it's so well reviewed and seen as pivotal because it's just a window into somebody losing their mind. Matthew making up conspiracy theories that it was all just a marketing scheme by Richie Edwards. I mean... I mean, you know what? I wouldn't put it past him. Can (laughs) I just say, we're going to get onto that, but I wouldn't call it a marketing scheme, but there is a rabbit hole. There's a rabbit hole of clues that he's clearly left. Uh. They're going to America for a, yeah, like James and Richie were going to fly out on the 1st of February for a press tour, like a mm-hmm. junket, I suppose. Yeah. And then after that, like three weeks after that, there was going to be a, a tour of, you know, venues and like a, a music tour, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Nikki said that during the time, the session, mm-hmm. um, that they were in the studio, Richie seemed back to his old self and he was on form. Um, but Joe said he seemed so much worse in January 95. So it's kind of hard to know if he was sort of, you know, behaving differently. To different well, it's people. one of the classic symptoms of, of suicide, isn't it? It's just somebody, yeah. s- somebody suddenly seems a lot happier. You display different behaviours to different people as well. So yeah. Like, yeah. So, of course, you're like, the person who just rejected you from marriage is definitely going to be like, that guy looks really bad. And yeah. it was like, no, he's fine. He's, he seems really happy. It's like, yeah, well, you know. So um, the 30th and 31st of January, they Mm -hmm. went back in the studio again. And on the final evening, Richie gave everybody a present, which they assumed was his way of apologising for being so difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. Then they drove off. uh, Richie and James drove off to the Embassy Hotel in London to fly to the USA the next day. Mm -hmm. As we previously said, on the 31st of January, Richie and James checked into the London Embassy Hotel. uh, And on the 1st of February, Richie checked out and then was never seen again at least not by any of the main players in this story uh now there is a bit of confusion as to when he checked out because of uh, a, a ticket uh, a, a toll ticket for crossing the seven bridge which it turned out in 2018 i think mm. was actually for 255 in the morning and it had been thought that it was for 255 p.m yeah uh so in that case he must have checked out like literally just ticking over to the first of February. So yeah, Richie's Richie's gone in the morning when when James gets up. Uh, James flies to the USA thinking that well, this is what Richie does. He'll get on another flight and join me at some point. Um, Richie then goes to his flat in Cardiff. 
On the 2nd of February, Martin Hall, who was the... Uh, the manager. Yeah, the manager. Um, he filed a missing persons report uh, and the family placed an ad in the local paper uh, asking him to come home. No, uh, they, di- they didn't say that. They actually said, um, just let us know you're all right. You're oh, under right. your obligation yeah, yeah. to come right, home. Yeah. Just please let us know you're okay. Uh, and then around this time... Nobody's quite sure when this happened, but Richie might have been seen at the Newport passport office. No, I've got a date. I've, no, no, no. Fifth, no, 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 no. Fifth, fifth I've February. got I've got dates for the the, okay. the two um, sightings which placed him in the same place. So yeah. quite likely. So the uh, fifth of February. This is, he was seen at the bus station mm-hmm. in Newport. Yeah. So like this this witness statement was made on twenty first of February, but on the fifth of February, a student named David Cross claims to have seen Richie in Newport bus not, station. Not the comedian David Cross. No. At least um, not to our knowledge. David Cross had a friend who was a fan, mm-hmm. um, and he recognised Richie from her photos. He said that Richie looked very pale and had very short hair, so that checks out. And mm. he was stood next to a silver car. The Mannix had a silver Vauxhall Cavalier. Mm-hmm. So, sounds about right. Um, David Cross went up to Richie, introduced himself, said like, oh, we have a mutual friend. You're this, this girl, the leader Laurie. of the New York fan club. Yeah, oh, right, okay. Um, they spoke briefly, then Richie got in the car and drove off. Mm-hmm. And another statement was made by a taxi driver called Anthony Hatherall, and that was made yeah. on the 23rd, th- 23rd of February. And on the 7th of February, this taxi driver um, picked Richie up, oh, picked a man up, sorry, um, at 7am from the King's Hotel in Newport, or, yeah, I'm guessing it's Newport. The man was slim, white, approximately 5 foot 10 to 6 foot tall, with dark brown collar length hair. So the description is off, because yeah. Richie was 5'7", and he had and a shaved head. Yeah, yeah. But I would suggest that if a couple of days earlier he was recognised, maybe he bought a wig. Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. Um, but I mean, given that he was actually five foot seven for the taxi driver to describe him as five ten to six yeah, foot, but is... I'm really bad at guessing people's height. I don't see why that's a you know any why that is a kind of since all the other details make sense because yeah, yeah. the 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 journey was really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he's that Richie or the, the man. Sorry, I need to stop saying Richie because we don't know if it was him. Um, the man spoke with a Cockney accent that he thought sounded a bit fake. The man asked to lie down in the back seat and asked to be taken to the Uplands in Rogerstone. Mm-hmm. So he says, this person did not appear to be drunk or under the influence of drugs. There was no conversation between us until we got to Uplands and I asked him where he wanted to go exactly. He produced some paper with directions on it and he said he had got, uh, he said he'd got from the hotel. He read from it stating he wanted to uh, wanted the A4591 to Riska, Cross Keys, and, oh, Kumkan? It's Welsh. I'm so sorry I can't pronounce this. Here we this. go. Shelley's turn to not be able to pronounce Come place on. names. It's <laughs> we all have to have a go. <laughs> C-W-M-C-A-R-N. So I'm really sorry. I, d- I don't know how to pronounce that in Kim, Welsh. Kumkan, maybe? Kumkan, maybe, yeah. Um, I stated that I would not go uh, on a longer run until I had some money up front. He then handed me £40 in two £20 notes. I asked yes, him for... Yes, actually, here's, here's a good point to, to throw in, something I forgot to mention, is that in the days leading up to his disappearance, he'd been going to cash points and taking out £200, £200. a day, because that's the, yeah. the most Which, you can get yeah, out. Yeah, so they think, he'd, so yeah, they, they think he would have had... 2800 Yeah, so. exactly. Um, so, yeah, he handed... He said, uh, sorry, Anthony Hatherall then says, he handed me £40 in two £20 notes... I asked him for his exact destination, but he stated that he did not know at the moment. He said he was looking for his bus, who had driven a lorry to South Wales from London and had broken down somewhere in Gwent. I thought that this was extremely strange, 
and if he had not paid, I would not have gone any further. For the rest of the journey, he sat quietly in the back until we got to Blackwood bus station. It must have been about 7.50pm at this time. As we entered the bus station, he said, no, this is not the place. He asked again where the nearest railway station was, uh, and I explained there was one in Newport and one in Pontypool. He then requested I take him to the Pontypool railway, railway station. At Pontypool station, he got out of the car and asked me to wait for him. A short while later, he returned and stated that he had phoned the London office and been told to go to Oust Services, which is on the English side of the Severn Bridge. He requested I go via the scenic route, not driving along the motorway, because he stated he all, was always driving along the motorway. There was very little conversation until we got to the Severn Bridge. At first he stated he wanted to be dropped in the motel at the Severn Bridge services, but then he changed his mind. I eventually dropped him off at the cafe area of the services. He paid me another £20, then I drove away. Before I left, he asked me for a receipt for the fare. Uh, the actual fare was £68, but he asked me for a discount, which I gave him. Uh, I made the receipt out for £70 to Buster Haulage. Oh, right, so when he saw a picture of Richie, you know, the, the appeal in the local paper, yeah, he mm -hmm. said... Uh, I thought he looked very similar to the male person I drove to the Seven Bridge services. My suspicions were heightened by the peculiar events of that night and the strangeness of the person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, both placed him in the right area. Yeah. And and also, um, it's really important to note that his when his family went to his house, uh, went to his flat, they found his passport and the toll receipt left in full view, of, like when you open the front door. And he tried to give... He'd spent the last night... Um, his last known with night. A, with a lady, with a mystery a lady, lady called, called Vivian, who Vivian. nobody knows who she actually was and they don't know where she well, was. Well, the band but... seemed to know who she was, but, like, they haven't... Been able yeah. to really chat to um, he was just trying... He was trying to give her his passport, mm -hmm. saying, I won't be needing this. But then he went to Newport where there's a passport office. So, mm. seems like it's possible that that was trying to misdirect people. Uh, and, and and the thing about the taxi driver dropping Richie off at Ost Seven Service Station. Is it Ost or Oust? I don't know. No, um, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if you if you're from that area of Wales, I do apologise. Yeah, we're sorry. Um, but yeah, but, um, that's that's a significant place because on Valentine's Day, the fourteenth of Feb, Richie's car arrives at that service station, looking lived in. Well. Uh, at the time, it, it wouldn't have been taken much notice of. Mm -hmm. um, the reason we know about this is because uh, on the 17th of February, the car is then reported abandoned because it's been left there for enough time. I guess it's racked at parking tickets or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they, they looked in the car. It was the licence plate uh, presumably matched to, to Richie's yeah. driving licence. Um, yeah, they, they, they looked in the car and there was evidence they'd been living in it. Uh, Chris Packets, burger wrappers, stuff like that. Um, flat battery. Yeah, yeah, the flat flat mm. battery. That car is parked near a known suicide hotspot, which is the Seven Bridge, mm -hmm. I presume. Now, two two days earlier than that, um, South Wales Police issued a statement, and so did the band. Uh, and Richie's dad appeared on Red Dragon Radio uh, to make an appeal. The fact that like the the police very much come in for a kicking throughout this whole thing because they were. I mean, incompetent at best, criminally negligent at worst. Yeah. Uh, the fact that it's taken them, you know, so long after this guy's gone missing. And, you know, there was somewhere that he should have been. So for him to just vanish and not contact anyone to let them know what he was doing, was, you know, there's clearly a big issue going on Especially here. I mean, the, one of the things that's really significant, yeah. which is there are some people who would say this is a conspiracy. It's fucking not. It's because there was three separate police forces involved at this point okay. there was Avon and Somerset 
London, because that's where he went missing, and Cardiff, because that's where he was from. Yeah. So those three police forces obviously weren't communicating very well with each other. And as a result, probably thought each other had done the legwork. So mm-hmm. hardly any of the legwork got done, mm-hmm. apart from by Rachel, Richie's sister. So um, one of the really surprising things, normally when a car of a missing person is found at those services, it is standard procedure for the police to get the Coast Guard to then like uh, search the local area of the river. And in fact, it was standard procedure to the point where it had happened twice in the previous month, but this didn't happen with Richie. And the problem with the seven is that time is very much of the essence because it has the second highest rise and fall of um, tide in the world. Like, I guess, how would you describe that? Like the range, I suppose, tidal range in the world. So it would take a long time for the body to be washed out to the Atlantic because the currents coming in to the Severn are stronger than those flowing out. So there probably was a really big chance that the body could have been discovered if there was a body to discover. Mm-hmm. But also... Yeah, because they was spent a... so long fucking about. Uh, it was, yeah. Well, yeah, and also like time was very much of the essence because because of the currents being so powerful in each direction, there's a lot of swirling silt and stuff um, from the riverbed, which meant that bodies can just be lost at the bottom of the river, uh, yeah. on the riverbed. I presumably like bashed around and damaged. Yeah. Like, um, you know. But you know, there's just the it's fact easier, that they wouldn't be easier, found at all. Well, is yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, I, well, I'm, I'm saying that would have, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to find one whole intact body if it gets, you know, broken into thousands of pieces yeah. and scattered every which way. It's just like, you know, but um, yeah, there. but I mean, also in terms of police negligence, I mean, the police never interviewed James, who was the second to last person to ever see Richie alive. And this woman, Vivian, the family don't even know her last name. They don't know anything about her. The band knew her because she was a fan who became, you know, a friend. But they don't know her last name either. I mean, it seems like it. Yeah, it seems like they don't have any information on her because the police never tried to track her down. They never interviewed her. They never checked the phone calls that went in and out of the hotel room. And it's standard procedure with a missing person. This is according to a guy called Stephen Fulcher who was interviewed for the Withdrawn Traces book. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a kind of classic maverick cop because he... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but not in the sense of like got rewarded and promoted for it like in all the American TV shows. He recognised that there were certain elements of police procedure which were detrimental to finding a missing person because they take so long. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, there was a time when he you know interviewed a suspect or or someone in connection with a disappearance like without their, them having a lawyer present. He found the body of somebody who had gone missing, but he lost his job because you know he he not um, follow police procedure but he you know he yeah. dealt with a lot of cases like this when he's interviewed for withdrawn traces he says that it's absolutely vital to account for the last 24 hours of a missing person mm-hmm. the last 24 hours someone is seen alive mm-hmm. because then you get an idea of their mindset you know yeah. you might get some clues as to like you know what they're thinking they might mention some stuff um, but that didn't happen and another really strange thing is that the police Um, According to Rachel, the police took photos of the car when it was discovered, um, but destroyed them two days later. That's ridiculous. Which is weird, isn't it? They didn't take the car in to, like, you know, search it or anything. And they told Graham uh, Edwards, Richie's dad, that he would need to pay, I'm guessing, the parking tickets, but also to have it towed back to Blackwood. So they just were like, we're not going to look into this at all. 
I mean, the mm. the level of negligence is unbelievable, and this yeah. is like the well, whole that, search that, has been Rachel's yeah. for the last. I, mean, 20 well, I was I was years. I was saying uh, I, I mentioned this to you yesterday, Shelley, mm. when when you were talking to me about it, uh, and the police's negligence reminds me of uh, a case that happened at a similar time. I think it was ninety six. Mm. Um, it was a, a sixteen or seventeen year old lad called Damien Nettles went went missing on the Isle of Man. It was a, a thing I was thinking of maybe doing an episode about 4YOY. Um, anyway, the thing is, similar thing, like just so many pieces of evidence got lost or destroyed or just, you know, just nothing was taken care of. And, you know, there, there's a heavy question about some notorious local drug dealers that might have been involved in his disappearance. Mm-hmm. And so there is, you know, obviously nothing can be confirmed because there's no evidence anymore, but yeah. um, there is definitely, a, 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 I don't want to say popular theory, but quite a strong theory Mm. i'd say that there was some sort of involvement with the police in local drug dealers and you know sort of getting drugs to and from the isle of Wight, and you know this dirty cops kind of thing and that's why you know this this kid had nothing to do with it but they had to get rid of the evidence of what happened to him to protect this racket that they had going on I mean, uh, I, now, I, 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 I don't this, know if there's any evidence no, for that with, in, in this case. I was going to say, but, I think with this, it's probably more just small town police mentality where they just can't be arsed. It's like, it's just some rock star who's gone missing. He's probably just fucking around, you know? Um, um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, there is there was a quote by Detective Sergeant who basically, I won't, I won't open the book and like get the quote exactly, but it, the gist of it is, this is in six months after disappearance, or would mm-hmm. that be August, where he basically says it's very likely Richie's no longer with us. Mm-hmm. And this is after they'd done fucking nothing. Um, and they'd yeah, nice not one, taken mate. a DNA yeah. sample even. Rachel said um, she just saw something on TV in 2005, so 10 years after Richie's disappearance, realised that like no one had ever taken a DNA sample. So she called the police and said, like, can you, you know, we've got his toothbrush. Can you please take a DNA sample? Because she, you know, constantly was like writing to coroner's offices and stuff mm-hmm. like that to try and, you know, see if any unidentified bodies, bodies yeah. um, could be, you know, she could get descriptions of them and everything. And she, you know, probably still does that today, bless her. I mean, um, so that's actually one of the saddest things I think about um, this whole case. Yeah. Like, whatever's happened to Richie is that they, um, what did they describe Blackwood as? They described Blackwood as a... Uh, if you if you were going to make a museum of Blackwood, all you'd put in it is rubble and shit. Rubble and shit. And basically, like, <laughs> that's what Richie's done to his family whether intentionally or not like he that they talk about uh, i read the book she talks about a bin that he was painting that's still like half finished they've got all these like you know they've got all these items that they sort of have now become sacred you know relics relics of this person and this person's life and like Rachel's think, life has, has sadly now largely just been searching for her brother and it's, it's yeah. I mean, I think, I do, yeah I, I don't think it would be controversial to say that it's ruined the family's lives well his parents are dead now yeah. yeah. Rachel's the only surviving member and she was 24 when he went missing yeah. and you know it was 26 years ago so, so yeah. that's she's 30 yeah oh. she's 38 <laughs> no 50. 20, 26 to 24 is 50. Yeah, 50. <laughs> so that's like almost her entire adult life has just been focused on this. Yeah. And you could definitely say that the police negligence is a huge, huge factor in yeah. that. Um, because, you know, all of this legwork she's basically done herself. But I would also say, and obviously there's a lot of diminished responsibility from Richie because he was very mentally ill, as we've shown. Yeah. But 
I would also say he was playing games with people because there was a box of stuff yeah, that he, he left, left a, behind. Yeah, he left a box of stuff with pictures of Snoopy on it and various collages. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot more to it than that. Mm. So yeah, well, yeah, let's, I think I let's, think let's let, let's let's dive into the let's theories. Dive into the, mm -hmm. Yeah. Then, okay. So yeah. I want to talk about the box of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, the three main theories are obviously suicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's still alive somewhere, mm -hmm. or he was murdered. I think we can very quickly dispense with the murder theory because there doesn't seem well, to be any particular. That I haven't found any evidence. Yeah. The only well, thing there, I've there got. Well, there were some suggestions that there was some confrontation that night, though, that before he went missing. But with whom? I don't know. I've just. Where read did you read that? In the book that you keep quoting, I, I I've read some of it. I've read several chapters. They said I there didn't was some read anything about confrontation. Yeah, they said that the day he went missing, he had some confrontation, but they wouldn't say. Well, but is it like outside the hotel? Because I, I vaguely remember reading that myself. Yeah. What? It didn't, How it didn't, it didn't, it didn't connect to anything. Yeah. It so just said I was that, just like, yeah. Right. Well, this yeah, is it. it just seems like a very like ponderous. Well, he yeah. fell out with some people, and they. Often... Yeah, I mean, like, I think, I think the thing is, like, given the weird stuff that he was then doing after that, the chance of him being murdered in something not in connection with that is seems very unlikely. Yeah, I mean, I want to just quickly dispense with the murder theory because I think it's just worth just kind of crossing it out because I just can't find any evidence for it. So in Withdrawn Traces, which is, you know, obviously my main source for this, the and it's the most detailed source by a very long way, it, Rachel points out that there was a steering lock left on the steering wheel of his car, mm -hmm. which doesn't seem like something someone in a chaotic state of mind would do, which is true, but it could have also been, you know, misdirection, like a red well, it could be. It could mm. also could be someone in a chaotic state of mind who hasn't Sort of he's not very lucid. Oh, he's not yeah. getting yeah, but not getting murdered. <laughs> you don't really lock your car up if you're about to get murdered or mm -hmm. someone's chasing you well, or quite, out yeah. to hunt you. So, well, but, there's a apparently um, in 2011, so really recently mm -hmm. compared to you know everything else that's happened in this story, an ex postman called David Ramos mm -hmm. who was crossing the bridge on foot on the footpath on the first of February saw a man on the footpath who seemed surprised to see him because I guess the footpath isn't very often used mm -hmm. I don't know I'm guessing it's a really long bridge I've never yeah it's seven, seven bridges yeah yeah. yeah yeah okay it, it, so literally the, the, the painting the, it's, it's literally shthand for an, a project that never gets done because the painting no, isn't just... that the fourth bridge yeah that's the fourth yeah, bridge no, the, or like the time the, the they get to the bridge, end of it yeah that they have to start they painting to start again. yeah 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 to stop it from rusting um but yeah it's, it's but a I very think, long I think, bridge, I think anyway. it's it's I, I don't know the exact length of the bridge but I think it is similar to the fourth yeah. bridge. It like must be a massive so, bridge because it had a yeah. big impact on a child's mind at the age of 13 when he wrote a story about escaping. Well, it's also it. the link between South Wales and England. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's probably that element of it as well. It's I mean, like a, to, know, to my mind, it, looks, it looks like the fourth bridge and the seven bridge cross the same kind of like gap of, of water. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, so yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so David Ramos said... Bridge lengths. <laughs> lovely, lovely tangent sorry yeah. um, what did he say David Ramos said that um, he saw this guy on the footpath and he thought it was strange so he went to the the bridge you know security office and mentioned it maybe because Richie you know was very frail looked weird probably well, looked yeah. a bit out of it you know he'd, he'd abandoned his um, fluoxetine his Prozac um, in the hotel so you know may have been a, you don't get really get withdrawal from it but like your, your feelings all kind of start coming well, in. Well, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he went to the bridge office and told them. He's not sure it was ever logged. 
like the security staff that were there. But um, there is obviously the chance that someone noticed this person in a vulnerable state of mind, maybe found they had some money on him or whatever. And mugged him. Well, three thousand. Yeah. The bridge. Yeah, sure, yeah. That, that could have. But happened. the thing is, is that he was still definitely alive and doing things days after that. So. Well, it's not definite, but the. There's, oh well, yeah, because no, to be honest him, with you, a yeah. lot of the sightings are really ridiculous. Uh, so there's a German, the German Mike's fan, Monica uh, Poma. She's she's an asshat. If you're listening, Monica, you're a, you're a, you're a bad lady. Uh, <laughs> well, it's just this. Like basically, she claims that she received a postcard from Edwards. Uh, it was uh, postmarked uh, London in London on February the third, nineteen ninety-five. However, she sent a she sent a photocopy of a postcard from December thirteenth, nineteen ninety-four. Going well, look, he, he he messages me, and they're like, "Well, can we see the one that you claim that you've got from?" Yeah. No, that's from... secret. Yes, literally, yeah. she was like, "No, that it's too personal." That's awful. And you're like, I didn't know. Like, like, why would you? Sorry, why this would you is a police out? investigation. Why would? Yeah, why would you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why are you reaching out to us? And then yeah. the other one is um, a woman claims to have seen a man in his forties hitching a ride to Delamere Services, not Delamere where I grew up, but Delamere down south, um, carrying a guitar case. Who was five foot ten? Now Richie was five foot seven and twenty seven years old. So like it's like that, and she was like, "That's Richie Edwards." It's like it doesn't sound like Richie Edwards from your I own mean, to, description. To be fair, he, he probably didn't look great, but no, I, I, I suppose yeah. There's a difference between somebody looking he didn't ill and look looking forty. Yeah. There's a musician that's gone missing, and there's a guy carrying a guitar case down. It the, must like, be him. Like, it must yeah. be him. You like yeah. So there was loads of sightings well, that just yeah. sound I ridiculous. Think when, yeah. when, when there's some sightings from people that actually knew him, though. Yes, because I'm 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 sure I'm, I'm sure there were quite a few where like so, some people well, saw him and didn't realise he was missing. So yeah, David well, the David Cross one. So David Cross, he he yeah. knew him because, as you said, um, he was mutual friends with Laurie Fiddler, who was um the oh the New York the, fan. the New York fan. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. interestingly enough, on March the fourth, Philip Keane states that there was a guy called Philip Keane from Scotland, and he stated that um, Edwards was staying staying at Fiddler's apartment in uh, East 21st Street, so in New York. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he said that. That's not true at all. Well, that's... Don't that believe was, that for that, a moment. Well, Laurie, interestingly enough, Laurie herself, she has stated that... Um, and this is this is one of those dodgy ones, that on February the 2nd, she had a, a telephone call from someone who might have been Richie Edwards, but she wasn't at her flat at the time, and it was a girlfriend who answered, and it's like, hi, Laurie, and apparently the person hung up very soon after... But uh, Laurie believes that might have been Richie Edwards. I mean, it could have been. Yeah, I so. don't believe he went to her flat, though. I don't in believe America. he went to New York. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, that that does seem like a bit of an odd thing to do. To just go, going to go to gonna, America. Yeah, then, no, no. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away from getting on this plane to America to get on a plane to America. Well, <laughs> it's just like, I'm sorry, that. that's misdirection, you isn't it? You say that, but A, we've got, we've got someone who um, is obsessed with Obsessed with um, disappearance. So one of the things that Richie, one of the theories that Rachel had, uh, his sister, was that maybe he'd gone off to a monastery because mm-hmm. for Christmas he'd asked her to give him like sp- spiritual books. So the book yeah, of Ecclesiastes, um, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, not testicles, uh, and to um, give him the book of the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Um, so like he'd been getting into this and he was getting really religious. He sort of seemed to have a bit of a revival in spirituality because mm-hmm. he'd been quite anti-religious since the age of thirteen. So, like you know, there was there was that, and and then 
he just liked mysteries. He had all these people from his past, like his great aunt Bessie, who just died in December, December 1994. Mm. And I think that maybe that had sort of gone well. I quite liked the fact that she was reclusive. He had loads of, he had an uncle Shane. Uncle Mm. Shane like started off to America. And as a child, he liked to, he loved to hear stories of how Shane disappeared to the side of the world. And people didn't hear from him for years and years and years until he sort of showed up again years later. So like, you know, the idea that maybe he, he went to the place that he was meant to go, but was like, hee 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 hee. I'm gonna give my passport away. I'm gonna go to Newport office, get a new passport, and then piss off to uh, America, yeah. a place where no one's looking for me because they all think I'm in the UK. I, I want to give a list now of like all of the references and obsessions okay. that Richie yes, had with people so. who had gone into exile or had some connection with you know disappearance, exile, whatever. So Arthur Rambo is the first one and I think like someone that Richie was very obsessed with. He was a French poet. Um, he gave up on poetry at 19 after publishing Season in Hell, which mm-hmm. is his most famous work. Um, and he vanished from public life, went to live in Abyssinia, which is now Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. He died aged 37, but the point is that he did his masterwork and then gave up at his peak, which sounds like Richie with mm-hmm. the Holy Bible. And there is even a November 1994, which I think we're going to use as the picture for the uh, for this episode, actually. There's a beautiful photo, let me show you if I can find it, of Richie um, in 1994 um, with a boiler suit with Arthur Rambo's poetry written on the back. Then in the song Reval, which in Withdrawn Traces, Sarah Howis-Jones posits is, there's, there's a lot of lines which might be having a go at the band, basically, for, mm. you know, selling out not sticking yeah. to the purest direction he wanted to keep. But one of them, uh, what, did, the did second verse... it was also about the Holocaust, that song? Maybe? Not, not Reval, no. Because oh, right. I was going to say, just no. like say, you guys are pure. I'll tell you what's pure. Oh, my no. God. <laughs> but then there's, uh, yeah, so there's um, a line, Che Guevara, you're on target now, I think it is. But basically, Che Guevara um, disappeared for two years before he was found in Bolivia and killed by the CIA. Yeah. Um, just before that, he wrote a letter severing ties with his Argentinian comrades, saying he was going to devote himself to global global revolution. And before he went, he shaved his head as a disguise, which is mm. what Richie did. Yeah. Um, the next line in that song is uh, Pol Pot with John Tracy's Bye Bye, which obviously is where the book title comes from and um, shows more, you know, like interest in withdrawing from public life. That's what Pol Pot did in the 80s. Um, he lived in isolation on the Thai border until his death in 1998. There's also an obsession that Richie developed in 1994 with Apocalypse Now and also um, yeah, Heart so of Darkness. You're going to read the book Heart yeah. of Darkness. So yeah, you need to, you need to differentiate yeah, actually, the two because it's quite yeah. important because one's set in Vietnam and mm-hmm. the theory yeah, is that maybe Richie, Richie Edwards read that book and disappeared into Africa, which is where the original Colonel books... Because Colonel yeah. Kurtz was a, in the book rather than being some sort of a Vietnam vet or general even at the time colonel kurtz in the book is an ivory a renegade ivory trader yes. trader yeah so yeah, the that. idea that maybe yeah um richie edwards went to africa to uh yeah be actually actually I, I haven't read heart of darkness but i have seen apocalypse now mm-hmm. and to be honest thinking about it when you finally meet colonel kurtz played by marlon brando in the film like i, I can well imagine like the crazy man that you see there like 
his leading up to that is kind of like Richie. Yeah. Because I mean, like, basically, you get it's, um, oh, it's Martin Sheen is playing. Yeah. Martin Sheen, yeah. Uh, is playing the, the guy who's, who's sent to find him. Who had killing. a heart attack. He had, he had a heart attack during the film. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Film. Yeah. It's dreadful. But yeah, because wow. I mean, you, you can see that they're kind of like both sides of the same coin and that Martin Sheen could end up easily becoming like Colonel yeah. Kurtz. Uh, and so you see, like, his, his breakdown, that does actually seem very similar to what. Richie was 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 going through. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with the Apocalypse Now connect, connection because mm-hmm. there's a Clash song called Sean Flynn. Mm-hmm. Sean Flynn is the person who inspired Dennis Hopper's character in Apocalypse Now. I don't know. I I have seen it, but Dennis I was like, yeah, yeah, he's 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 in it. I so exactly. basically, um, oh, he's know. a. I think he's like a photographer because yeah. Oh, Sean, is that guy right? Yeah, 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 yeah because yeah. Richie buys the same make of camera in autumn '94 and starts wearing it around his neck all the time. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, Sean Flynn, there's a there's a Clash song uh, about him. And he went to Cambodia on a photography assignment for Time magazine, um, was never seen again, believed kidnapped and murdered by the gorillas. So not, not the gorillas, the animals, <laughs> but the actual... Uh, yeah. no, not, not Damon Albin. Okay. Yeah. It's an actual terrorist. I'm sure yeah. people will have been able we to... We need to clarify that. that. You never know. They think not gorillas. People who don't go out into gorillas. the world out there, they might just think that actually there are some very aggressive primates who are, are very hairy. They definitely are. I'd like to be <laughs> journalists. Why do you want to um, kill this guy? I thought you liked him. Well, I ain't happy. It's a gorilla's joke for you. That's very good. Um, <laughs> Is that the band or the, the actual the apes? Yeah, okay. Clint Eastwood. Or the terrorists. Oh, okay. So in, in 1994, um, just Terror- to drag Arguably this back. terrorists aren't happy either. <laughs> well, sorry. Good point. Please continue. Shall I? Yeah. In 1994, Sean Flynn's mother died. So his disappearance was in the news again, mm-hmm. according to Rachel. Uh, so this is possibly another reason why Richie was like, oh yeah, Apocalypse Now, I love that film. He got a tattoo of uh, a, a quote from the film in 94, which says, I'll surf, I'll surf this beach. So, yeah. uh, Charlie, don't uh, surf. Yeah, yeah. That's um, Robert Duvall's character. Yeah, Robert Duvall. I love, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Oh yeah, yeah of course. he's so good yeah. in that film. Because yeah, he's, he's, that other people are doing it. He's just like, I just want to surf the beach. Just get 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 yeah. these. That's really interesting. Yeah, because yeah. he yeah. 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 kind of Kurt shaved his head before. Uh, yeah. Well, he just was a big fat shaved yeah. head dude. So yeah, that's uh, yeah. Marlon Brando as well, obviously plays Colonel Kurtz in the film, but um, he also gave up on fame apparently and uh, went yeah, to live on did. an island for ten years. Yeah. Um, just after Apocalypse now, mm-hmm. so um, another yeah. exile link. Richie's friend Mark Hambridge describes Apocalypse Now as and, and the Heart of Darkness as his last obsession because he did used to get obsessed with things mm. and just talk about them all the time, which I fully relate to because I do that too. One of the because he used to like to make collages. Mm-hmm. One of the last photocopies he ever made was of Bette Davis and Joan Crawford in Whatever Happens to Baby Jane, who played two former actress sisters who become recluses. Mm-hmm. So he um, made a photocopy of of this and put a big quote from Apocalypse Now, or from Heart of Darkness, sorry, mm-hmm. um, at the bottom of it. Um, he also was really obsessed with J.D. Salinger, who, yeah. just like Arthur Rambeau, wrote his um, you know, most famous work. Capture in the Rye, disappeared. which is quite a famous book. Yeah, J- Richie said in 1991, one of the best things I've ever read is J.D. Salinger. After his big success, The Catcher in the Rye, he locked himself away in a basement for 20 years, but he was still writing. He's got stacks of manuscripts on his shelves, but no one's ever seen them. Um, and the interviewer asked, could you see yourself doing that? And Richie replied, I'd like to think so. It was in 91. 
Um, there is also William S. Burroughs, who... Um, Billy Burroughs. Billy Burroughs. <laughs> who I didn't know... I didn't know had... An exile link or a recluse link. He was a he was a heroin or, addict, wasn't he, Billy Burroughs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as we know from the song. Yeah, um, yeah. old-fashioned morphine. Yeah. yeah. Anyone as familiar with Burroughs' story as Richie? No. Uh, this is a quote. Sorry from Withdrawn Traces. Anyone as familiar with Burroughs' story as Richie was knows that considerable stretches of his adult life were spent in exile in countries other than his native United States. Mm-hmm. There's also a book that Joe, his girlfriend, gave to him called Novel with Cocaine, written by someone called M. Egayev. Egayev? It's like a Russian name. Sorry, butchering that. Give it to AJ, you know how to pronounce Russian names, don't A-G-E-Y-E-V. Egayev. Egayev, maybe. Call back to our first episode, Dyatlov Pass, go listen to it. Oh, season one binge, guys. Okay, so it has... Fuck, my foot's gone to sleep. A first... That's an old quote. <laughs> oh fuck my foot's gone to sleep <laughs> yeah. illuminating it, it sounds like it's I've only heard like the kind of description of it but it sounds like it's kind of like the catcher in the rye it's just like a teenager okay. yeah. going about his day Caulfield just ranting about stuff yeah. but um, this novelist fascinated Richie because the author handed over his manuscript for publication then fled without trace never to be heard of again so yeah there's also <laughs> there's that and there's also the final Final thing I've got in my list of hints is that on Richie's bookshelf, he had a book of poems by an author called Hart Crane. And there was a book um, in this book, there was a page folded over on a poem called Exile. Mm-hmm. So he was obviously leaving clues for people. Um, there was also, you know, a gift box that he left for his girlfriend, Joe, which, you know, had similar stuff in it. I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like it's kind of, really sick and narcissistic to do that yeah obviously the guy wasn't well so diminished mm. responsibility like i said but also like uh, i mean that it, it, it could be many things it may well be that you thought you know if i if they know that i killed myself that maybe that'll make them less sad and maybe you know if i make it look like i've gone into exile and they think that i'm happy somewhere that would be better for them obviously yeah. it hasn't been because everyone's spent well, you see, so much time trying to find them. I think Richie, Richie Edwards failed on one very specific thing. So Richie Edwards once said, whatever anyone thinks of me, whatever happens to me, at least I know I try to be a person. But he failed at that because he's become a myth. He's become yeah. this legendary figure. And it's like, dude, like yeah. you failed at the most well, basic this, premise. This, this is think, the whole thing though, isn't it? He transformed himself into a work of yeah, art. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah, exactly I think what I that's think what's happened. Did, yeah. And I don't know, I don't think that's a very healthy or sensible thing to do. It's not. I, I mean, I do, I do feel like that's exactly what he did. Yeah. He kind of like the, the barriers blurred between, you know, the things he was telling the media and the things that he... The, the things he was reading, all of the influences and fascinations that he had with Exile Disappearance, all of this stuff. And also rock and roll. Like, he would have been very aware of, like, the 27 Club. You know, his last gig yeah. with the Mannix was the day before he turned 27. I mean, I, I so think... So I think I th- that he definitely had... Like, there was a, there was a moment where everything blurred. I think and because he was mentally ill, yeah. everything blurred and his, his idea of who he was collided with the myth i think you should listen to that teacher when the teacher said that richard can run away with his own humor and needs to yeah because like that's that's somebody who's creating sick little jokes that's basically what that is humor it's i don't think it's meant to be humor at all i think it is i think it's meant to be they said that he liked to shock people he liked to make people laugh and like the thing is that like things that comic 
comics find funny is generally actually not. He's the not a comic. That, I know he's not, but I'm saying that the things that comics find funny is like they literally they find things that are funny that people shouldn't find funny. And like I think that there's a lot of dark humor in the things that he was doing, which is all well, I'm just gonna leave a little breadcrumb trail. But obviously there's been sightings of him since. So there was the sighting by um the lecturer and musician Vivian Morris. Yeah, yes, who was holding yes, in Goa. And, yeah, um, yeah. And is, was he a lecturer at Swansea? Swansea? I think? Yeah. yeah. Was so, his name like Vivian? <laughs> You're definitely going to be. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, Wales. but but that's that's where Richie went to university. Yeah, yeah. It? So, yeah. so are we taking from this that he would know who Richie was? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, you know, that's. Yeah, there's a list of sightings from yeah. sort of hot places in the world. Basically, is yeah. the only Fuerte, Fuerte Ventura, Lanzarote. Lanzarote. Yeah, I, lo- I love yeah. that. I love that quote Go because it's been it knocking around Tracy the Tracy Jones, like one of the customers, shouted, "You're Richie from the Mannix Street Preachers," and apparently he literally the guy that they shouted that to just bolted out the door, just dropped his yeah, pipe and but like ran. none of these sightings, they're all one person yeah there's like four of them yeah. and like yeah they've, they've all they've never been corroborated well even by even, even vivian morris is like is a really odd sighting because he but he was like oh i saw some sunburnt guy who like was wearing caftan jeans and looked like everybody else but i was like that's definitely <laughs> richie edwards yeah. and i said and I, I asked somebody who, who's that and they went oh that's ricky's been here for about 18 months and you're like yeah but anybody called rick could have been there for about 18 months he's like and yeah. i would have got my girlfriend to take a picture but she wasn't around yeah like, oh, exactly also also yeah. if that's if that's true, why didn't you? Because presumably you knew he was missing. So why didn't you go up to him and go, Richie? Everyone's quite worried about you. Uh, you well, that—that's the thing. Also in the book, what well, I thought he had a really strange take on it when he said later on he wished he'd never said anything because he knew Richie wanted to. He probably Richie probably didn't want to be found. And it's like you're missing the point, yeah. aren't yeah. you? Like, okay, Richie might not want to be found, but Richie also has a history of being very unwell. So, yeah, you know, he's a vulnerable person. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing going back to the somebody, somebody terrible... Somebody is in a kibbutz in Israel. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, that was a hairdresser. So the person who wrote the book was like, I was getting my hair trimmed. And then somebody went, oh, everybody knows he's in a kibbutz in Israel. And so she was like, yeah. I'll write a book. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, like, there's an interesting theory that he could very well have... Sorry, I said ages ago there's survival murder and suicide theories mm-hmm. so yeah. obviously we've just gone through the survival kind of aspects because of leaving this this clue this this kind of yeah trail of breadcrumbs like you said but it could have been misdirection just to make his disappearance mm-hmm. sound more interesting and so he'd become a myth etc mm-hmm. but you know it, it's possible that you know he did go somewhere like israel hide out for a while planning to re-emerge again when he'd created his masterpiece like yeah. salinger or borrows people like that but also um i do think it's really worth pointing out the guy was so mentally ill he could have just gone off and died <laughs> like uh, just well, died he could have gone off into hiding and then died yeah of various things because yeah. he was anorexic he was an alcoholic yeah. you know substance yeah. 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 Um, he was you know like you can't outrun your problems if the problems are inside your head you can't go yeah. somewhere else and expect them to be gone basically which is, you know, super sad, but mm-hmm. that's that's the reality. Um, I just want to have a go at a documentary that I watched, by the way. This is going to be quick, but, like, there's a, there's a documentary on YouTube called The Life and Disappearance of Richie Edwards, and I watched it because I thought, you know, it would help with, with the research for this. But literally, oh, my God, their suggestion is when he went into the Priory, he was subject to some kind of MKUltra-type experiment, like a mind-control experiment, and that's why he wasn't the same after he came out. 
like I've just written here, like I want to make it clear that I think this theory is bullshit and insulting to Richie and anyone else with this kind of profound mental illness. Because the idea that someone with this huge history of, you know, self-harm, anorexia, alcoholism, um, mm. depression, all this stuff. Oh, that's not good enough for you. You have to add a fucking government that's, conspiracy. That's just conspiracy it. theories. Like we've read, we've read all the conspiracy yeah. theories. They're it's, always just like the most outlandish ones. It's so stupid. And it's like, it's, I just find it offensive of someone, you know, who's had mental health issues and who hasn't. Like, I find it fucking offensive that yeah. someone would, would think that. And But also, like, I think the documentary really kind of makes itself look stupid by also saying, like, everyone knows Kurt Cobain didn't actually kill himself. It was made to look like a suicide. I mean, I, I And think, I also, think... um, it's like, because Rachel is now part of Missing People, which is a big campaigner for Missing People, mm-hmm. as is Kate McCann, mother of Madeline McCann. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously the documentary maker goes like... Well, you know, he, she shouldn't be aligning herself with people like this, blah, blah, blah. So the guy is playing conspiracy theory bingo yeah. and I hate him and I hope he's ashamed of himself. And worse than that, all the comments under it on YouTube are people going, you're obviously a really big fan. This documentary is great. I'm sorry. That's just what? The way, that's just the way documentary makers are, though. I mean, I think, yeah. I think the problem that a lot of people have where someone like Richie Edwards checking out and disappearing and maybe committing suicide is concerned is that like, People just go, well, that guy had an estate of £500,000. Why would you ever want to check out? But the thing <laughs> is that, like, like fame, seeking fame and fortune and trying to get, you know, famous, it's not it's not a cure-all. Like, no. th- th- there used to be the old saying that, like... Um, I think it's easy to think that when you're quite young yeah, as yeah. well, isn't it? Like, well, the yeah. thing is that there's the, the old saying, money doesn't buy you happiness. Previously, when that was first invented that statement the the statement now is used as like well don't worry about being poor because money can't buy you happiness but actually previously it was well like money can't buy you happiness if you've got loads of it you should help other people because helping other people is the thing that makes you happy that does make you happy and so like basically the thing is that like with with like richie edwards he got fame and fortune and it wasn't what he wasn't really what he was ever after like he just you know initially he didn't even want to be in the manics he just wanted to hang out with his mates and be their band no he definitely wanted to be in the manics okay well he definitely did want to be in the band yeah fair enough and they wanted him in it as well well yeah because they loved each other and I get that but like you know there's the amount of people that I know that just have I I know loads of people that have literally just like driven themselves to severe mental illness because they've been chasing fame and fortune and they've not got it Mm -hmm. it's like well that's the thing that I want and I know loads of people that have managed to make themselves more famous and it just causes more issues for them. It's well, like, yeah. met, like you said, like you can go to the other side of the world, you can become famous, you can get all the money in the world, but it's not going to fix your mental health issues. Like that's yeah. quite, yeah. the way life is. I mean, I do think that like, there's a really sad aspect, <laughs> obviously there's a really yeah. sad aspect oh, really, to this. Do you? Other than, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> other than all the terrible things we've been talking about, which is that at the end of the book, there's a lot of, there's excerpts from the letters that Joe and Rachel have written each other over the years. Mm-hmm to support each other and you know Rachel outright says that like she doesn't feel like the band have done enough and she does I mean I get that like she has this feeling of being you know like resentful because she's done all this legwork the Mm. band didn't really do any like the police did fuck all she's done the whole search pretty much by herself and yeah. must be exhausted because her entire adult life has been characterized I think to be fair to be fair as well it, 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 would be, it would be fair to say that, you know, the, the other three band members did spend a lot of time with him close to the end of his life and, you know, saw how... Disturbed and... Yeah, yeah, how disturbed yeah. he was. So it, it may just be that 
because of that, they just accepted that he was dead. And, well, and and they they did, I don't think they accepted it very well because if you see, I've seen like footage. Yeah, no, I'm, about, I'm like, not Richie. saying it's. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying they were going. Oh, he's dead, Arsenal. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, they, no, no, but, I'm, but I'm saying that, that, that instead of going, well, he might still be out there. He might still be out there. I think they were just going. No, we 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 know he's gone. We yeah, know he's not with us. or like he's probably gone. But what at the end of the day, it's like, what do you actually want us to do about it? It's like when well, your friend's gone missing and they're probably dead. Like, and you know the police yeah. have bungled everything. I mean, as what, as what as, you... as Shelley might be about to tell us. I mean, there are things that maybe they 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 could have done and could do that they haven't done. This is from the withdrawn traces again. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the weeks following Richard's disappearance, the band got in touch with Rachel and asked her to go down to his flat to retrieve a folder with Bugs Bunny with a Bugs Bunny cover from mm-hmm. his shelves for them. She asked why, and was told that it was because they wanted to look for clues and that it was a property of Sony Records and they had to have it back. She said, I wasn't able to think straight at that time and just handed it over, remembers Rachel. I know there were some sheets of lyrics in, on them inside, but I hadn't got a clue whether Richie, Richard had said, she called him Richard, had said they were, it was okay for the band to take them. The stuff in there could have been his private musings on them, stuff he wouldn't have wanted published. They got the permission from Graham Edwards, Richie's dad, and they used those lyrics for Journal for Plague Lovers in 2009, which is an album that they... Did like I'd always thought that the lyrics were personally given to them by Richie, and they were like, "We need to do something with this." But according to Rachel, they basically just took yeah. some of his I mean, personal writing. It's hard to say because isn't it? Don't I think where the mics are concerned, don't they still like set aside a portion of money for him? Yeah, they. Yeah. they it's not they like... do, but um, he's been declared dead. Yeah, yeah, but they're it's, still yeah, it's declared dead in absentia in 2008. But they're still yeah. doing that, aren't they? As far as I'm aware, I could be yeah. wrong. I mean, the reason that he was declared dead was because they had, like Rachel said, like, you know, his direct debits were still going out of his account. Mm-hmm. You know, his, he still owned his flat. They couldn't do anything with his flat because he owned it. There was, you know, all of this kind yeah. of... Imagine having so much money that direct debits are going out of your account 12 years later. Well, I don't know. I mean, she said that just after, so I don't know if that's still the case now. But yeah, there was a, you know, there was this all this kind of bureaucratic but, stuff that they needed to tie up. So she said that they've nev- they're never going to give up on him. The, yeah, but the thing is, but, that in defence of the Mannix, though, like you could just turn around and be quite cruel and say, well, you guys are just like declaring him dead so that you can get his estate. And like that's... You can be that flip... You're making that face, but I'm saying that, to be honest with you, the things that Rachel's saying they, uh, to her ba- about her his bandmates, who, from everything that you read and know about them, they sound really tight. You could sort of take say, well, you know... You can you can make those statements and go well who's right and who's wrong here like you know I mean, this is the thing well yeah so. this, this is basically what I said to to you said yesterday when we, when we were talking about this and I think it it might just be a case of every, everyone just blaming each other just because it's just like you know everyone feels guilt that they yeah, could have helped more exactly. to stop this from happening yeah it's, it's a sad just, it's just know, a very sort of reaction to just, I am. I'm not you know, saying that that's if what I, the family were thinking. If I I'm blame saying, the Mannix, yeah, then, it, then it's not my, my fault. fault. Yeah, it's yeah. just a very sad... What I'm saying is it's a very sad situation. You can just yeah. point fingers at everybody, I think, but it's just... I think that's really entirely understandable. Sad I would, I would, horrible you know, situation I, to I find everyone. Her, yeah. Think, think, so I think the thing is that she... She said that, like, whenever the, the anniversary comes around and stuff, um, you know, she speaks to journalists, mm-hmm. and they say... I couldn't find the exact quote, but, you know, they ask, like... Are you in touch with the band and do are they doing anything for missing people, which is the charity she's now involved with? And um yeah, apparently they are not. And they, you know, it seems like I can't I can't think of like a benefit they've done for them or anything. And they were very quick to just kind of say, like, 
he's probably dead, which obviously is going to be hurtful for Rachel. So, you know, I think even though it's like really understandable stuff, I can see why she would feel resentment and mm-hmm. like a lot of disappointment that they, they weren't more involved in trying to find him. I also think it's important to mention that from what she believes and, you know, gathered from conversations with him, they weren't as close as all that anymore because of their musical differences and also because, you know, Richie was so difficult to work with through no fault of his own. Yeah. So she thinks that, like, they've just kind of tried to keep their narrative of these guys being, like, for four best friends forever. But she just basically doesn't see it as quite yeah. that... Them as being quite that tight at the time Richie disappeared. I, I, I mean, none of this is, like, you yeah. know, condemning them. But do you know what I mean? I it's do just want to say how that you would as feel. As somebody who suffers, has suffered from pretty severe mental illness in the past, like, I have fallen out with, like, really close friends of mine. And, like, yeah. at the time, they've been really, like, mad at me and really angry at me. And some of them haven't spoken to me in years. But, like, with, with my closest friends, I've made up again. And, like, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, well, at the time, they were having loads of arguments and they were causing loads of issues. It's like, yeah, but that's sadly how like close friends can be that way it's not always going to be like plain sailing and what you want is you don't want people who are fair weather friends who will stick by you when shit's going yeah. wrong and will try their best and from what i've read it does sound like the manics did try and do that you know if yeah. you've got a band member who's literally banging again back to the sid barrett thing if you've got a band member who's banging his head against the one like come on man like we really want you with us like please don't and you're like yeah. well maybe you should step back and then he's like please don't let me step back i want to be part of this band you're like well okay because we love you, but yeah. like, we're worried about I you, mean, you know? I do think that, like, from Rachel's point of view, and I think also from Richie's point of view as well at the end, he felt like they'd got what they wanted out of him. You know, like, he was literally the reason they got famous. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, all of his, like, propaganda and stuff, his marketing nous. That was all him. Mutilation. Yeah, but, you know, whatever you know, whatever it entailed, like, they, they probably wouldn't have got the same level of attention without him. And all of his, you know, all of his kind of vision. Likely. Um, yeah. And so when it got to the point where, like, they were like, well, we want to take a more commercial direction. And he, you know, felt like he was being let down and felt like he wasn't, because he wasn't a musical, you know, person Maybe. involved in the band as well. He didn't feel like he was, you know, as, as important anymore. So he was kind of becoming quite disillusioned with that. But I, I think that, yeah, Rachel kind of feels like they got what they wanted out of him. And quick to like write him off. I mean, the, I think, the history I think of a lot of maybe. bands are like that, though. Like mm. they are. They, if you look at like Black Sabbath, is a good example of somewhere like Ozzy Osbourne started having massive problems, so they kicked him out of the band. But if you look at like Black Sabbath's whole catalogue, they've had several like singers since him, and they've they continued for years. But like, if you think of Black Sabbath, you always just think of Ozzy Osbourne as the lead singer, you know? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. Like they just do do that. It, it, it gets really hard. It's like, well, it's not just you. There's other people in this band as well. And I know that you yeah. might have differences of True. opinion, but like, yeah. we can't just completely like. I think I think as you. well saying that that you know that the bands you know used Richie and then got rid of him. I think that's quite a selfish way of looking at it yeah. from like Richie's point of view because it's just yeah. like you know yeah un- undoubtedly it was it was him as a, as a person as as this intense artistic individual that propelled them into into the spotlight and they wouldn't have got there without him but the thing is is that you know he he wasn't the only person in the man he's not the only reason why you know people listen to the Manic Street Preachers because their music's good. Well, you were talking about James Dean Bradfield yeah, before yeah, and how he's a great, singer, and great, how he can sing and has that vocal range. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah and like, it's just like, you know, so it's not, I don't think for, I don't think it's really very fair that, that Richie would have like, you know, the, the entire control and ownership over 
the direction of the band because it's not you know this this is it about working together it's and you know we see this with 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 bands so often that there's just clashes of personality and then bands split up. Well, God, I mean, when I used to live with you guys, Jesus Christ, the arguments that you had with band members who were no longer in the band and the squabbles that used to happen with people who were not in the band, yeah. who were still your friends, but like obviously like the thing in that band yeah. were not working out. It's a working relationship. Yeah. Exactly. It's right. friendship. Yeah. I mean, there's two things I want to say here. One is about James Dean Bradfield mm-hmm. in praise of him. The fact that Richie just used to give him these lyrics is like sometimes just like freeform poetry and he would manage to mold it into the shape of like a really kind of melodic song that is genius Mm -hmm. and he's amazing and he deserves a lot more credit than he than he gets I think Mm -hmm. um but he gets a lot of credit he deserves even more the other thing I was going to say is what we were just talking about Richie's black and white thinking does fit into the borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. symptoms list or emotionally unstable personality disorder but also Asperger's Asperger's as well Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I don't think there's any real need to talk about all the symptoms of Asperger's that I wrote down. Yeah, but yeah, there are definitely. But, I'm, but I'm the, the reason we're talking about this is because Rachel thinks that he probably had that, but yeah. she didn't know anything about it at the time. Well, also it's interesting because what you're, what Rachel's opinion of that is is also you can quite understand that that's from him saying things to her and her going, well, that just must be the way it is because he's my brother and he disappeared. And you get very emotive in that situation. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you take a broader step back, you know, that's maybe just somebody ranting at his sister because I've done that to my sister. I've ranted about friends of mine and it's not necessarily how I actually really well, feel. Yeah, exactly. yeah. In the moment, I'm just angry and I just want to sort of vent. Yeah. Just, yeah. My paranoia comes out and people have that. You know? Yeah, there's definitely, a, yeah, it was obviously a very intense situation and it would have been an intense situation even without, mental illness being mm-hmm. thrown into the mix yeah. so yeah mm. I agree Yeah, some things were probably just hot air that she's then read more into yeah, and she's yeah. lost her brother and that's yeah. horrendous and it's a horrible yeah. situation and she's not got an explanation for that so you try and find yeah. reasoning in all the places yeah. that you can find it because that's just right, how humans yeah. behave you know we try and find some sort of rationality in sometimes the very most unrational places. Yeah, I mean, on, some, of the, some of the symptoms for Asperger's syndrome are isolation in social situations mm-hmm. Which, yeah. when you were talking about how he was on the last tour, that's definitely mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, that kind of thing where he, was, he shouted at the guy to go away or was, you can't be here or whatever. Yeah, it was, so. yeah. Well, inappropriate behaviours, odd mannerisms. I mean, that's that's Richie. Um, well, like yeah, yeah. going to slice like, myself up because yeah. that's what you want from me to yeah. do. Yeah, no, yeah, I just yeah. want to have a chat about your musical preferences. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Pro- problems expressing emotions uh-huh. again. Yeah, if you're expressing your emotions by mutilating yourself and yeah, you writing these really problem. obscure lyrics. Well, also and, the yeah. fact that you said he's incapable of falling love. in love. Yeah, like, yeah, I can't yeah. fall in love. You know, yeah. I don't think that's true. I think he said that to you know to the media, yeah. maybe to keep you know a bit of himself private because he definitely. You know, had a girlfriend and he loved her. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's yeah, the the kind of obsessive nature of uh, oh, of things. Yeah. And he was as you've said, he was a very obsessive person. Like yeah. he'd just get obsessed about one thing and that's all he'd talk about. Yeah. Uh lack of lack of common sense as well. And I think you know, and, and like focusing on small details, I think that probably does feed into Richie quite a bit in that he doesn't strike me as somebody who would see the big picture, he'd just kind of do. Yeah. And Impulsive, then he'd just be like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like the idea of him just going, I'm just going to disappear. Whatever yeah. happened to him, just going, yeah, I'm just going to... Because, like, James James was like, do you want to come out for drinks? Because I might go out for drinks together. We went and see some local cafes the night before, and he was like, no, nah, I'm just going to stay in. So just that guy, I just want a night to myself. Having a night to myself and then having someone there going, I'm just going to give you this stuff, and then I don't need it anymore. And she's like, what are you talking about? And then, yeah, vamoosed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see it as being quite an impulsive, sort of reckless 
lack of common sense and overfocus on small details both yeah. lead into impulsivity. Like which, which not also, seeing the big picture, also not thinking things through to their conclusion. Well, that also leads into his argument with that he was having with the band and his record label because they were like, "Well, come on, like you need to look at the bigger picture." He's like, "No, no, no, like we need to focus on these things." My like, way or no way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are there are plenty of other things on here. There's. The, the only other one I mentioned is robotic speaking because it's it speaks quite oddly, um, quite yeah. monotonously. This was something that I found and and like, um, you know, watching a lot of sort of interviews with him and stuff, mm-hmm. because he's always kind of touted as this very charismatic figure and like that's obviously you know how he how he came across from like the the things that he said like the content of the things he said well, and his stage presence. Yeah, yeah. But when you actually hear him speak, it's very monotone. Yeah. And I always found that like. Oh, that's like actually not that engaging to listen to. Yeah, it's a little jarring. Yeah, yeah but like that is yeah a symptom of Asperger's. So that's another so another so tick what, in the box. What, what do you guys think actually happened to Richard? Then do you think he's dead, or do you think he is um, out there somewhere in the world in Goa, in a kibbutz in know. Israel, somewhere in uh, Africa? I don't. I don't think he's still alive mm-hmm. now. I wonder if just based on all of his actions leading up to his disappearance, I wonder if he did actually try to disappear, but because he was so ill, has ended up dying accidentally rather than deliberately mm. since then. Or putting himself in a dangerous situation. I mean, if you go off to Africa and you uh, you just you just flip, fly off to Africa, well, you, you, you giggle, but... I'm just laughing because no one's mentioned Africa except you, but yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, but like, well, it's just like, I, I'm just thinking that, like, I was having this conversation the other day. I've got a friend who's uh, Nigerian and... Um, I wanted to I wanted to go to Nigeria with him to where he was from, which is a Delta State in the north of uh, Africa. Oh went, yeah, it's really hard to get there. Well, it's not just really hard to get there, but he also he also went. There's no way I would take you to where I come from because there are people who are going to see you out there and they're going to think that you're rich. They're going to like kidnap you and hold you hostage, yeah. and then they're going to like want demand a ransom and I know you're not rich and no one's going to be able to pay anything for you and they're just going to kill you because that's the easiest yeah. way wow, through it well, when so, but I'm saying that if you, just, if you had this romanticised idea of just going yeah. somewhere yeah. you're going to be there's every yeah, chance quite, that you yeah. just fall when into a, a really bad when situation when I interviewed Jackie Kay who's, mm-hmm. um, who's an author and poet uh, and she was talking about um, like because she was adopted she was talking about find, finding out who her, who her parents were and her father was Nigerian um, and so she went to Nigeria to to meet him and try and meet her half siblings mm-hmm. uh, and yeah she was kind of mentioned a, a similar thing just just like yeah that she was trying to drive from uh, uh, Abuja which is the capital mm-hmm. um, isn't Lagos the capital? no Lagos is the biggest city Abuja is the capital ah, mm-hmm. fair enough. Um, uh, she, she was she was trying to drive somewhere and it was just like is really a really dangerous road because it's like you know there are kind of the zones around major population centers mm-hmm. where there's oh. army and the police to keep you safe but you know if you just if your car breaks down when you're between places like there's just bandits and stuff that will just bandits. you know wow. basically yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah that's, that's, that's it yeah, yeah. Highway, highway, it's just like yeah we we're not used to that. I guess in a country that's so built up with you know so much surveillance yeah it's just like you know it doesn't feel like that kind of thing. It could happen, but yeah, there are so many places in the world where there just isn't isn't that infrastructure, or you know, law enforcement is hugely more corrupt or non-existent and, than than it is here. And you've and got you've got a like, mentally ill individual who's like eating yeah. his own narrative and not thinking clearly. You know, if, yeah, if those yeah. kind of if people who have a very specific goal in mind meet someone like that and like will get us money and they're not making any sense, 
you know, they're not. But if they wanted his money, I mean, he had less than three grand on him at on the time him, he disappeared, yeah. and he never withdrew. Quite a lot to. He never to withdrew do, yeah. any money. Yeah. Other than that, so it's just like okay, but, so he did. But like, like, they wouldn't have got a lot out of him. So as a hypothetical, think about it this way: maybe it would. He could get into a position where they're like, "Well, you, ma- I want you to make a phone call to get money for us." And he's like, "No, I'm not going to do that because I've, I've disappeared." <laughs> you know, like I am, a, I am, yeah. I have, yeah. di- you know. Again, this we're talking about someone who's not yeah. focusing on details rather than the bigger picture. The bigger picture there is, well, you know, mm. you know, anything could have happened to him. And I guess right, that- yeah. I mean, so I, so I, I wonder if that's maybe more likely. But yeah, I, I either way, I think it's most likely that he's that he's dead. And yeah, I. I think it's, you know, it, it wouldn't be shocking to find out that he had committed suicide by jumping off the Seven Bridge. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I think that, yeah, yeah I, th- I think that it's... I do feel like he probably had the aim of disappearing somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, um, going to live, like, another life, like, starting again somewhere. And I think that's a really lovely romantic idea, and that's why people... Still you know, want to say, buy into it. People say they've yeah. seen, they saw yeah. him in, you know, like, um, yeah, Goa Lanzarote, places like that. Even like as recently as like early two, no, late 2000s, like 2008 or something like that. Um, and it's a lovely idea, but just, I just think you, he couldn't outrun his problems. I mean, one thing that Joe said was, that, I mean, it's only mentioned the once, so it's never really kind of unpacked. So maybe like it was never something that he told a doctor or anything, but or Rachel or anything, but like, there's a letter from Joe where she says, I wish I'd asked him more about the voices. So he's probably hearing stuff in his head. Could be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like that's the only mention of it though. So we don't know. He could have just like killed him. He could have, again, he could have just set up the premise that he might have disappeared and then killed himself and just think, well, yeah. I'm just going to flush myself out to sea and I'll just disappear without a trace. And that's such a romantic way. You can really romanticize some horrific things mm. um, when yeah. you're not in a good state of mind. So, you know, um, yeah, yeah. You've, I, I've, you've got something that you wanted to play. Yeah, AJ. Well, this is it. So I, I personally think that Richie Edwards is dead. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I wish yeah. he wasn't, but like, I, I, I got this. This is a quote. So somebody asked him about the the future of the Manic Street Preachers. Oh yeah, and I, know I this quote. <laughs> and I, yeah, so I, I think if this if this works, please work. Um, uh, so I've got this quote which I've sampled. I hope it's at the right pitch. But here we go. Yeah, I I picked up on that as well because I remember like um, when I was like really ill a couple of years, five years ago, I guess. I do remember speaking to a counsellor and saying like, like she she asked me a question like, you know, what do you think about the future? And, you know, what do you plan for the future? And I do remember like almost bursting into tears at the word. Mm. I was just like, I can't think about that. I, I'm just making it through each hour. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. so I really recognised that as well. Like when I when yeah. I heard him say that, I was like, well, that's a red flag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think we're all in agreement that, that he's probably dead and most probably yeah. by suicide, although, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that like... Without finding his body, there's still the possibility that that's not the case. I mean, but, and yeah. I think that like, if you if you consider like, the amount of people at this point, 26 years on, who would have to have stayed suspected quiet. but not said yeah. anything or stayed quiet or whatever. It's just like he was... It seemed of very the missing unlikely. persons, he's like the most famous of them, like Lord Lucan. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think the chances of him being out there somewhere, unfortunately, are so low. The question is like when 
when did he do it? How soon after the disappearance? Yeah, quite. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Or did he do it deliberately or not? You know, was it, you know. I think, he yeah. Have, he I could have parked his car there, gone, got off for a walk down the Seven Bridge and fell off. blown into the water. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he might have. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I, think, I think the biggest mystery surrounding the Manic Street Preachers um, is, is, is why the stereophonics were more successful as a band oh. at the same time. Uh, I don't think they were. They supported the Manics on their well, Millennium gig. They did, but I, I think from the gr- greatest sort of aspect of it, I think the, the stereophonics are just more well-known because they've, they've, they cracked America a bit more and, and oh, things. Oh, no way, did they? Yeah, they Fair did. Play. And it's, it's, it's funny because... Uh, that this is so I, I did get into the mics in about nineteen ninety eight, but mm. more it was more my friend Shand who I'm giving a shout out to, and he he used to have a uh, a theory that he used to say regularly, which was that Kelly Jones is a potato. So uh, <laughs> so what does I, that mean? I well I've been telling that to people whenever st- anybody mentions stereophonics for the for the past uh, you know. Um, 20 something years yeah I'm really bad at maths 23 23 years for the past 23 years whenever anybody mentions the stereophonics I always just roll out Kelly Jones is a potato a sack of potatoes in a trench coat well exactly isn't he he Tom Jones son no Jones Jones. is just a really common name (laughs) Nicky Wire's real surname is also Jones maybe that's the real conspiracy yeah (laughs) they're all related they're all related they're all Tom Jones kids but uh but, uh, yeah I don't think so but uh anyway so basically I asked Shan yesterday uh what he actually meant by his um sentiment that Kelly Jones is a potato. And he said that he didn't remember because at the time he was quite high. But uh, it was probably either because um, he had similar levels of a um, charisma to a potato as... Um, and he yeah. was just... Maybe that was just as appealing as he got. Or yeah. um, or that, you know, his, his head just looked a bit potato-y. So, um, <laughs> I don't think he looked like a potato. Well... I'm just going off the perspective of a uh, 14-year-old lad. So. <laughs> well, I think... On that note. Yeah, I think I think we should definitely wrap it up now because we've been recording for about two and a half hours. So, uh, thanks very much for listening to season one of YOY. Go back and listen. There are 12 episodes, including this one, uh, as well as a bonus episode, uh, and you can get more stuff. If you subscribe to us on buymeacoffee.com slash Y0YMCR. And we will be back uh, in four or six weeks with a new episode at the start of season two. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks to Shelley for taking part today. Thank you, Shelley. <laughs> also, uh, Shelley. You might not have noticed, but I am literally dressed as the way that you drawn me. I did that specifically. Oh, <laughs> Yes, Shelley, we've got to mention that at the top of the podcast, actually. Shelley is the, the same Shelley that designed the logo for Latiste. us. So, there we go. All right, thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.